I don't think there's a single thing I can say to prepare you for what you're about to hear. Yeah, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, uh, Your Term Show, I can't even speak. I'm so excited to share this one with you. It's Tom Kradza on the Your Life, Your Terms Show. And on this episode, we sit down with a longtime Rockstar Inner Circle member. His name is Joe Gluby. And I think some people on our team knew a bits and pieces of his backstory, but none of us knew the complete backstory of Joe Gluby. So on this episode, it's myself, Joe, Mike DeZormo, longtime great member of the Rockstar team. And of course, Nick Caradza sits down with us. And we go through Joe's story. He was kind enough to really go through everything. This is the longest episode we have ever done. I think I think we just cut it at like two hours and 20 minutes or something like that because we all had to go on with other things of our on our on our day there. Of our day? On our day? In our day. In our day. We'll go with in our day. Um, so we just had to end it. And uh, we could have talked for a lot more time. So I really think you're going to enjoy this. The day before Joe um, sat down with us, I opened an email he had sent. It was just a little bit of an outline of some of the things that we were going to discuss to kind of help us go through his story. And we usually don't do that kind of thing. We usually just kind of wing it. We hit record and we, and we start recording whatever happens, happens. But it was very, very useful because of the depth and breadth of his story. And I just want to read some of the points off this email so you get an idea of what you're in for here. It starts with the pot gang. Then it says, before you get on a plane, do you have any money? Being a landlord at 21, becoming a door-to-door salesman, from car thief to car salesman, a dark path back to school, sobriety versus jails, institutions, and death, golf, real estate and finance, marriage, kids, and fun, health being a relative thing, career. He Apparently, he told his boss to go screw himself, and he didn't use those words. And not apparently, he did do this, and he will share that story with you and more, so much more. So... Joe, thank you for sharing all this stuff. I really think it's going to be useful for other people to hear your story, just to have watched you and how how much you've accomplished over the last decade is really amazing. So Joe has bought a bunch of real estate properties, um, done a bunch of incredible stuff, and uh, you just would never know his backstory unless you heard it directly from him like this. So usually at this point in the intro, I talk about some other thing we have to offer, some videos, the Rockstar Inner Circle membership, um, or some books. I think in this particular case, we're just going to get on with the show. So with that, let's begin. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Caradza. Are you ready? Let's go. This is growing. Yeah, we, are like, we, are, we are live. Like we are live. 42 inch chest over here. People look at me, they're like, who's this grown man riding around with this yes. scooter? What's wrong with <laughs> this guy? Just to be clear, we're talking about a male. We're talking about Nick's chest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Yeah, we yeah. started off the podcast yeah. talking about Nick's about chest. About a 42 inch chest. <laughs> yeah, because Nick rode in on a scooter. When you were 18, Nick... you probably had a 42 inch so, chest. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What, 18. When did I start working out? And, uh, yeah, about then. Whenever, I didn't even give Alexandra a heads up. Alexandra, are we. Yeah, we're good? Yeah, okay. All right, cool. Joe, see, you get, you get here. We all get excited. We start the podcast off. So I don't even know how to go, you know, how do we go through this? Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Joe Galuby? Okay. Yeah, you go for it. What's the pot gang? 
Uh, So we'll start me off with the very first thing. Yeah, well, I don't know. Just so everyone listening here, Joe gave us a little list of things, and the first thing on his list to talk about is the pot gang. So you tell us, what's the pot gang? I like the fact you told your boss to F off, so we definitely got to cover that one. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, my story is that uh, I was an out-of-control teenager, youth. Uh, I had... Lots of problems. I didn't get along well with people in school. I didn't get along well with my family. I was a very negative thinker. I was, um, I I was, in retrospect, what I view myself as is I thought I was unlovable and unworthy. So those are the two lines that kind of, you know, with 40 years of introspection, I have figured out. But um, so what that meant was that I was very uh, anti-establishment and my family represented the establishment. My mother was a judge and my dad was a businessman and then he was a professor. And so, you know, they were really straight arrows. I had older siblings. They're all really straight arrows. My, my um, you know, my family has master's degrees and PhDs coming out the wazoo. Like, uh, obviously, my mother was a judge, so she had a you know, a law degree and went on to be uh, the first female chief justice of a Supreme Court in Canada. Really? Yeah. Wow. So in Nova Scotia. Uh, My father was a PhD. He ran successful businesses. He then, you know, decided to teach master's degree business programs. And you sold pot. And I was, you know, I was in business too. In the black market. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's easy to look back on that now and kind of make light of it because I kind of got through it and I'm looking at it on the other side. Um, but it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. But how much pot were you saying you were selling like grams to kids at high school or were you like, no, I wasn't a big dealer. I wasn't in big business. I was basically, I was the guy consuming most of my stash. So, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the rule number one to make sure you get high on your own supply? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't get high on your own supply. That's right. But uh, no, the, 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 the life for me, I think a lot of those are early prompts that I gave you guys on that little list there can be summed up with, uh, if there was a drug, I did it. If there was a way to avoid responsibility or, or, or escape or avoid, you know, life in general, I did it. I was totally not your normal everyday kid. What, you were intimidated by your parents or something? No, I, so my parents worked um, so much when I was a kid and I had older siblings. So there's about a 10 year gap between me and one of my siblings that had to watch me when I was a kid. And all he ever used to say to me was, you're a fucking loser because I have to watch you. And what I didn't realize was, is that it was teenage angst, you know, 15 year old kid telling a five year old kid, you know, you're a problem. And I took it to heart and I was a problem. And so I became, you know, uh, I, 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 I came to believe that my parents didn't love me. I came to believe that I didn't deserve to be in the family. I came to believe that I wasn't really a part of, I was a burden on everybody. And, and, you know, the irony is, is that that was a 15 year old. And I think a lot of 15 year olds have done a lot of stupid shit to people. And, you know, but I, as a five and six and seven and eight year old, I wasn't able to internalize that. My best story about all that is uh, learning to play basketball with my older brother. And he said, stand under the net and watch for the ball to come down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like four years old and this basketball is bigger than me and cracks me in the head. Right. And, uh, 
you know, so he thought that was hilarious. Mike still I, tries to do that to people on the team today. <laughs> <laughs> You're basically describing our team events. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the Rockstar Christmas party. Yeah. We went axe throwing. We're like, wait, guys, for yeah. bonus points, yeah. someone put it on their the apple on their head, and we'll see. Yeah. We'll see no, actually, it was Mike's birthday recently, and for every birthday here at Rockstar, everybody has to do uh, some kind of human trick. And Mike turned 50. So we're like, hey, this is a big one. And he didn't have a trick ready. So we were going to the rec room. We rented out the rec room and they have axe throwing. We're like, okay, Nick will put an apple on top of his head. You get an axe, Mike. And you know how coordinated Mike is. Yeah. Like, he'll pull it off. I'm like, you throw a an axe at Nick's head and hit, but don't hit the head, hit the apple. And that was going to be our party. And uh, we never did that. We ended up playing arcade games and we yeah. never got to that part. I saw that post. Yeah. 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 Um, so, anyway, so what all that did was it uh, gave me an education. It wasn't necessarily the one that, you know, most people get. And, uh, um, so that leads to, you know, wait, you're getting on the plane. Do you have any money? And, uh, so I went through, you know, I think when you're, when your family is, uh, in the criminal justice system, it's pretty hard to pull the wool over their eyes for very long. So when I was 14 or 15, my mother became very aware that I was a problem. And I think she knew for years at that point that I was a problem. And, uh, um, and so she had me arrested and uh, it was supposed to be that, you know, shock to the system. We've talked, you know, in years after we talked about it and, and you know, shock to the system and, and become aware of, you know, you know, the bigger picture in life and blah, blah, blah. Didn't and work, right? Didn't work. I just hated her more, right? I thought they were... I thought, I thought this was just evidence that you don't love me because you don't even want to take the time to figure out a solution here. You just want to, you know... So it's you know so i've taken a really crazy path so so in that moment sorry in that moment what would have worked like it, let's say she that's did a the, great question let's, let's say she did do the alternate and it was like hey put your her arm around you and take you in and talk to you i think probably the state that you were in at that point you would have probably just still pushed her away yeah i think it's a really good uh you know where i've come since then is to realize that you, you really have to you know it's not unlike you know, I'm sitting in a room with three really buff guys. It's getting a little, uh, you know, yeah, but none, none, of, none of us can golf. So, you yeah, that's that, right. So, it works. so I can hit the ball further than all you big, strong guys. But well, I can hit it at least 35 yards. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can drive the golf cart and drop it about 300 yards. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I think we were talking about crashing golf carts before. You guys are good at that too, I hear. Uh, anyways, um, uh, you know, I think that I think that you have to come to a point in your life where you make your own decision that you need to change whatever it is. And I don't think there's any difference. There's a hundred things you guys have covered over the last 10 years in your own personal lives and in other people's lives where you come to a point in your life and you make a decision and you, and you, and you have to change. And I think you can promote uh, or provide environments where people are more willing to change, but I don't think you can ever have a change you know you know this from your own life you can't make the change until you're willing to make the change so i think what she did was what she did and i don't have any you know long-term pain from that today but i can tell you what it did at the time was it put me in a mental institution so i got to see the inside of a mental institution at 15 and that was kind of interesting because i found a whole bunch of new drugs i could <laughs> consume and a whole bunch of very interesting people to consume yeah, I was going to say a whole, new, a whole new group of friends that's too, right yeah. it was very interesting but I didn't get to stay friends with them for very long because they shipped me off to like this weird boarding school and I and I actually went to this very unusual very hard to understand boarding school and the only way that I can explain it is this is is um, they would they would uh, it was like it was like boarding school jail almost uh, it was in the middle of Maine 
Okay, so it was near Poland Springs where they make Poland Springs water, and it was in the middle of Maine. Wait, and Poland Springs isn't made in Poland? No, Poland oh, Springs water. I've never read the label. Yeah, Poland I just Spring made from Poland. Oh, no, Poland it. Springs is in Maine. Sorry, and, small uh, detail in this very, anyhow, very just, deep story. So keep right. keep going. I keep just going. found out that Poland Spring Water is actually made by Nestle, and it's on the same <laughs> line as everybody else, right? So it's just a label, label, right? But, but, uh, but probably you, back then it wasn't. But, but that's weird. They sent you into the U.S. Yeah, they drove me to the U.S. And uh, you know, I'm getting high in the you know in the every break I got uh, you know on the drive down. And then when I got there, they strip searched me, and that probably was the first clue that it was going to be a different life for me for a while. <laughs> and uh, and then they put me in something called, I think it was called, uh, it was it was lice uh, shampoo or whatever, right? Like you're, you know, it's like basically in jail. It wasn't jail, but it was like jail. Except the reason it wasn't like jail is that uh, they were trying to teach you skills on how to, you know, the, the line was you're an out of control adolescent, you're not crazy, right? And so they were trying to teach you about your character defects and your, and your right? So they would dress people up in their characters. So if you acted like a baby, guess what? You got a you got a diaper and a rattle and a and a you know the old baby bonnets that they used to have, right? And you would Holy be dressed shit. up. Now I don't think this is legal today, right? <laughs> like, I don't but you know what? This is like 1970. I don't know, 1980, 1981, that 82. That sounds crazy. It's illegal. It has to be illegal today. You think it was? It, it probably worked it, better than some of the today's. I'll tell you I'll tell you 30 more seconds about that so of course at 15 what did they dress me up as they dressed me up as a professor and I had to carry around a big Oxford English dictionary that was like 10,000 pages and it was like this burden of so why because you thought you were smarter than everyone else yeah okay yeah I still do but yeah me too we all do yeah <laughs> Anyways, um, I like the laughter, and he looks yeah, around yeah, to make yeah. sure is everyone else laughing <laughs> yeah, with yeah, me right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, no, I don't think I'm still smarter. I think I'm just more informed. That doesn't mean I'm very smart. Mike keeps calling me a smart guy, and I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm sitting in a room with a lot more informed and a lot more capable people than me because the real key to being smart is being disciplined. And the one thing I've never had in my life is much discipline. You can be as smart as you want and still wind up as a bum on the street and struggling. But if you're disciplined, you don't have to be all that smart. You just have to be disciplined and committed and you'll be very successful in life. So what I see around me is a bunch of very disciplined guys. And mm -hmm. that's kind of yeah. why I follow you guys, by the way, is because, you know, maybe some of that will one day rub off on me. I don't know if it will or not, but. Um, I think we're learning a lot from you right now. Yeah. So. so I'm in this place and if you act out, so if you resist and I'm not wearing the baby bonnet, I never had to wear a baby bonnet. I didn't act like a baby, but the, the literally the biggest guy in the, in the place <laughs> looks like Nick, except about eight inches taller, big guy, 17 years old. They put him in a baby bonnet and I'll never forget. He's like, you know, screw you guys. I'm not you know, much ruder words than that. I'm not going to wear a baby bonnet. And about 10 people pinned him down, put him in uh uh, uh, restraints and sat him in a corner and said, you're going to sit in the corner and you're going to face the corner until such time as you cooperate and wear the baby outfit. And, uh, that started, uh, and that was a normal behavior that the normal treatment that they had up to that point. And so it was a pretty vicious kind of vile place. They used to have all day long. You would be like working, like functioning. And then if you did something wrong, you would literally get yelled at. They'd line up a group of people and they would like, ah, man, ah, and then everybody go back to work. So that was kind of the environment that. Uh, that sounds like it of a of a Marvel movie. Or <laughs> oh something, yeah, it's you know? pretty crazy. And um, 
Uh, I won't name the place because, you know, there's a remote chance that somebody on this podcast actually went through there and I don't think anybody has great experiences about it. And I also... <laughs> doesn't ha- sound like it. No. <laughs> they, How did you get out? You graduate. You literally you become 18. They can't keep you, right? Oh, and so somewhere around there, you get your high school diploma. So you used to work in the day and then get high school at night. So how long were you there for? Two, two years. Two I was there years. for grade 11 and grade 12 of my high school life. Wow. So that was how I graduated. But did your behavior end up changing slightly? Well, the irony I'm not is, saying because of that. Like, I just mean, like, almost as a survival mechanism, did it change? Yeah. I mean, you weren't allowed to touch girls, and you're in grade 11, and there's girls in this place. And so your behavior had to be really modified to be successful and in that place. And you had to stay away from girls. You had to stay, you know. It was in the backwoods of Maine. They didn't have to put bars on the windows because there was nowhere to go, right? Like, if you ran away, you're like... You're finished, yeah. Yeah, you're dead, literally. And uh, the only guy who ran away was a guy who happened to be from Maine. And, you know, he went home and he told them the story. And they're like, okay, I guess you can stay. Uh, and he didn't have to come back. But um, I, just, to, just to wrap that up, I will tell you that it got very bad in this place to the point where they lost control out of the residence. And the worst, including that guy and a number of other girls, got put into a schoolroom and left there for days. Just do whatever you need to do. Like, so I don't imagine, I can't even imagine what happened to the women, the girls. They were girls. They were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old girls in this room with people who are actively acting out because they just need to break free of this constraint they've been put in. And I, I associated with a number of the people that went through there afterwards. So let's say the next three to five years afterwards, people would reach out and you'd connect and you'd, and basically there's no other word to describe except they were all fucked. They were all, so I don't believe any of them will be on this podcast because I think statistically speaking, probably only a very few of them actually survive. Now, I I think I had no idea this was part of your story. Mike, did you? No, no. No. That's uh, like I'm sitting beside Lex Luthor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The real <laughs> yeah, I wish I was that conniving. I'd probably be more successful. Uh, uh, so, you know, I come out you of that. You keep saying that, but just so you know, from the outside, knowing you, I see a really, and I, I don't know your whole story. Yeah, yeah. So I just see a really outgoing, positive, yeah. because you know, yeah. you know, positive person who we really respect and value. Anytime you've said something about our business or Rockstar, we were talking about the time you screamed from the yeah, uh, yeah. the side. We were on the we were doing one of our big events, and we were saying, "Does anyone need anything?" And you were like, "Get us some RRSP eligible real estate investments." And I don't know because it came from you. Maybe we took that really seriously, and uh, so from the outside, how about the how about the time I faxed you the thing and you were asking for feedback and I started writing the feedback on the back of the page and I ran out of room and I started writing it all around. The I there's, the been, there's been multiple emails, very very long emails. <laughs> yeah, but we we but we re, we've actually I don't know if you noticed or not, but there was a lot of the things that you said that we actually implemented because we're like, oh, it's a good idea. Yeah, it, it eventually get works its way to the top of the list and gets done. Yeah, right? exactly. No, you know what so, I'm. Uh, that's actually become part of my skill set is is uh, looking at a process and figuring out a way to improve on the process. That's actually a big part of, of what I'm good at today and what I've identified as one of my kind of strong skills. But, you know, back to that time, I my mother said to them, um, you know, he's still a drug addict. Like, And they're like, no, he isn't. He hasn't used drugs in two years. Like, I actually had a home visit, you know, during that period, like in the second year or whatever. And I ran into my old buddies and I'm like, no, I don't want to use drugs. And, you know, and so they're like, no, he's, he's cured. And my mother's like, you know, I'm smart too. And I don't think he's cured. And sure enough, the day I got out of there, I got high. 
And so I was booked to go to a very fancy university in the U.S. that shall remain nameless. And, uh, and I was very insecure and very afraid and was pretty sure that my high school education didn't really cut it to go to this. Um, you know, my SATs were good. And so I was smart, but I really didn't think I had the skill set to go. And I kind of knew it and I didn't have the guts to say it. And one thing led to another and I wound up there teaching, you know, really brilliant, studious kids how to do hot knives. <laughs> really? And that got was myself, the skill set. That was yeah, the that skill was the skill set I brought hey, to the university. Listen, there's textbooks or these yeah. thing kind of, there's this hot knife strategy that I've managed to perfect. <laughs> hey, you'll be very relaxed. And uh, anyway, so, you know. Um, is that even a thing anymore? Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure okay. it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, people like bongs more, I think, today. Yeah, oh, okay. I think it's God, all like that type of stuff. Like I had that student... was like the ghetto way to do it. When you get a, you <laughs> yeah, know... yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I had uh, student tenants who, um, who, you know, they had this weird backstory and she wanted to stay and then COVID hit and she wanted to move out. And so she basically destroyed my ability to rent the house because one girl wanted to stay in this house for an extra year. Right. So there's all this complication and you know, this group of tenants was booked and then they had to, then they cancel. They come to the meeting to, you know, sign the lease and the girl walks in and says, oh, I've changed my mind. I'm not leaving. And the landlord and, tenant, landlord and tenant board says, you know, I don't have to leave. And she you announced can't make that me right go. there? Yeah, in the front of these four girls, right? Oh, <laughs> so they're looking God. at each other like, they're like, what do we do now? Like, we're not going to kick somebody out of our group, like right here. They eventually did, by the way. They eventually kicked somebody out of their group and the other three girls took the place. But uh, when they took the place, the other girl decided, lo and behold, she didn't want to stay. So she moved out. And, uh, you know, on on August 31st of this year, she moved out. And she left behind a bunch of stuff. And one of the things she left behind was like a bong collection. Right? The other girls are like, yeah, you know, we, we like that. We're going to keep that. Yes. <laughs> of all the things, I said, you can take everything in this collection. You know, anything you need here, you can have. They're like, no, we don't need anything except for the bongs. How do we get to the $3.75 per hour in the buying used books? Yeah, so you're pretty much there. So <clears throat> I spent the next... So after I got expelled from that university, I uh, I wound up working back in Halifax, where I'm from originally, and um, and that wasn't going well. I, I had a brush with fame and and uh, had a relationship with a, with a very well known today <clears throat> folk artist uh, who's made lots of money and lives on the opposite coast. And uh, anyway, I think she wrote an album about me. Um, uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty exciting time in my life. And, uh, but my dad didn't think so. And he's like, get the hell out of here. Like, here's a one-way ticket to Ontario. And, uh, so my sister happened to be visiting and, uh, my dad's literally like, you know, you got to imagine me with my feet, you know, that classic cartoon with the, you know, you're on the angle and your feet are kind of digging into the ground and the guy's pushing from behind and you're, you know, gathering up all the rug as you're being pushed along. Right. And uh, my sister's like, it doesn't look like you really want to go. And I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, like, you know, things are finally going good. I got a job and I got a girlfriend and I don't really want to go. And, and she's like, do you have any money? And I said, no. And she said, oh, well, she looked in her wallet and she had some American cash, but she had $20 Canadian. So I came to Ontario with 20 bucks in my pocket uh, and got a job. And the first job I got was for $3.75 an hour. And... The weird thing is, in terms of, you know, kind of the Tom world of, you know, cost of money and things. and Yeah, you could actually buy something with 375 Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because what year was that? Uh, 83, yeah. I guess. 
right? 375 an hour, if, if you put in a 40-hour week and maybe got a few hours of overtime, was enough for me to pay my rent, pay all my groceries, buy beer, go out drinking on the weekends. Excuse me. Uh, it was also enough to, you know, maybe buy some illicit narcotics as well. And, uh, right, on 375 an hour, I was having a great life. Now, my first apartment was, uh, I had a couple of rooms that I rented first, but then six months in, I got evicted from all my rooms from having too many people in the room. And my first apartment, I went to look at it, and the lady said, well, <clears throat> you know, we'll fix the roof. And it was raining that day, and there's literally buckets all through the whole apartment, you know. And she fixed the roof, but she never fixed the inside of the apartment. So I basically moved into this apartment that was, you know, flooded and had no ceilings. Think and, of the mold aspects oh, of yeah. it. In, today, <laughs> in today's world. Yeah. I drive by that yeah. place all the time yeah. today. I'm like, I wonder if they still own that place, if they've ever fixed the interior. Do you remember how much you, you were paying? Well, I, what I do remember was that I rented out one room in the house and in that apartment and it paid my whole rent. I think it was like 300 bucks a month. Was It was a three-bedroom apartment and a little galley kitchen and one bathroom. And I think it was 300 or 325 a month. And uh, I rented out a room for 300 a month. Oh, wow. At that time. So buying used books. So, I, so I'm, the, I'm the drug-addled lunatic fiend who would read all the time. And in hindsight, it may well be that that's one of the pieces of the puzzle that got me recover in recovery. Um, I'm, I consider myself to be an extremely informed individual on a lot of different topics. I don't know deep dive on a lot of topics, but I know lots of little things about lots of topics. And it all started because, you know, my family was obviously very studious and very well read. And so when I was little, I was always reading and uh, I was always having stuff put in front of me to read. And then even when I was, you know, institutionalized, I was finding stuff to read. And when I got on my own making three seventy-five an hour, trust me, you weren't going out to the whatever the books. There was no chapters or whatever at the time. But, you, you know, you weren't going to the new bookstore and buying in the mall and, you know, buying the new books. You were like, oh, there's a good book. Let me go down to the used bookstore. And used books were a thing. Like that was they that were was everywhere. Ten cents, yeah. fifteen cents, Big, five cents, kind of almost cents. like just on the table, all thrown. You yeah. would kind of go. It was through gold. Those. It was yeah. gold. Yeah. And the the fact that you guys are familiar with it is, you know, it's it's. It, I think there's something to that. I think that there's something missing today. I, you know, it's I panic about my kids. Like the you know my especially my daughter gets all her. She's seventeen, first year university, same age as Aiden, right? And gets all. Uh, her information from the latest social media posts, mm -hmm. right? And so she never, ever, ever gets any kind of deep dive on anything. She gets, in many cases, she's getting accurate facts. She's just not getting any context. background or context. And yeah, there's no right. thinking to it. There's there's no some, when you read the book, sometimes you you have to read. You know, you reread certain parts. That's right. Like, Holy shit, that made sense. What? Let me let me go through, and you just go through it again. Yeah. You, you don't get that as much. That's the difference. You, yeah. There's you need that deep dive and stuff. And what's weird about that time is that I is that I was very into historical fictions. I was very into so I was getting like you know facts with stories kind of surrounding them about you know world history and world experience and so lots of things that I was learning at the time, you know were you know had some current context even though it was you know even though I was basically a waste case. So enough said. Holy smokes! So, where, where, so where, landlord at twenty one yeah. was you were renting out the room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you went. You got into door to door sales, which I think is yeah. is is, is, is so, incredible. I don't think it exists anymore, does it? No, but it was not in under, COVID. Not in the COVID era, that's for sure. <laughs> Someone under, knocks at your door now. An underappreciated profession, man. That is not an easy easy job. 
So but I, a good a good door to door salesman. It was a serious. It was a great profession. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a there's a Karadza story about buying uh, encyclopedias, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and the I, Swift. Do you remember the the sweeper thing? There was a, the guy came. It was great. Yeah, you, yeah. you, know, you know, like Vacuums. it's not a vacuum, but yeah. it's a sweeper. Yeah, yeah. He threw and, stuff on the carpet. No, yeah. my mom had just. I remember because she she said she's like, no, this is not gonna work. I like I just vacuumed, and so the guy's eyes must have lit up. He's like, oh really? Okay. <laughs> so then he did it, and it picked up some stuff. And then she was like, what the heck? And it was just an automatic sale. I remember that same guy that we came used that multiple sweeper times. for years. And that same guy that came back multiple times because we were just a, one of his buying customers, you know? Yeah. Like, so I was a little too wasted to remember to go back to people, but I certainly, <laughs> I certainly have, you know, my favorite story about that time was realizing that I could go door to door or I could go sit in the mall and rent a booth and people would come to me in the mall and I was selling vacuum cleaners. And so here's a little insider tip. That was a strategy. There's this thing about carpets that no matter how much dirt you pull out of it, there's always a bit more you can pull, yeah. right? And uh, so that's what they used to that they used to train that. You know, when you're going in, you, you don't even have to throw dirt on the floor. You just put this filter screen on, and you're guaranteed, no matter how clean the place is, you'll always get some dirt, right? Target the older, you know, townhouses and houses. You're guaranteed to get stuff out of there, right? But um, <laughs> the, uh, there's kind of a background story is that uh, I was delivering pizzas while working 375 an hour and, or whatever it was at that time. It might have been five bucks an hour at that time. And, um, and I knocked on a guy's door and he said, you should, you should sell what I sell. Like, you, you know, like you're personable and you can talk well. And so I said, what are you selling? He said, I sell wheelchair basketball. And I'm like, wheelchair basketball? What the heck is that? Like now today, everybody kind of knows wheelchair basketball. It's a thing. And, you know, disabled people play wheelchair basketball. Well, what do you mean? He sold people into the league? Or like, what do you sell? No, he sold. It was like this coupon book that you local businesses would uh, contribute to the coupon book. And then you would sell the book. And a, and and a support, portion, yeah. quote unquote, a portion of the proceeds would go to the wheelchair basketball, right? And so you would sell this story to people that, you know, you, you know, that you were supporting wheelchair basketball. About 90% of the money, I think, went to the guys who ran the boiler room, right, that were making all the phone calls. And it was my job to go out and deliver them because by the time, you know, between the phone call where they agreed to buy it and the time you actually, because in those days you had to go get the credit card. There was no taking it over the phone and, you know, none of that. So you had to get the credit card. So it was my job to actually resell them in the moment that they should take this thing. And about three quarters of them had woken up and realized, wait a minute, you know, so I really need this $300 coupon book, right? And uh, so then I, I was selling a guy on taking the coupon book, and he said, you should come and work for me. So it happened twice. So then he, so then he said, you should work for me, and he convinced me to come and sell vacuum cleaners. So that's how were, I got into so vacuum cleaners. Let me interrupt cleaners. you for a sec, because it seems like through all this, and you're like, you know, I don't know how I made it, and, and this and that. You know, you I always that worked. But yeah, you were a worker. I always worked. You were, even though you were whatever. He was just anti-establishment. So he was working, but he just didn't like yeah. to follow I, any whatever substances path. you were on. You didn't let them overtake that. Like no. you still functioned nine to five, That's and you hustled, and that you know relatively like, true. But you know, in the course of relatively true, in the course of relatively true, because in the course of those ten years between eighteen and twenty-eight, when I finally got clean, I you know I robbed at least two or three of the places that I worked. Okay. I, like what do you mean robbed? Like, like robbed, like, like you, robbed you them. stole like, things when no like, one were there, or like you I was in like the, the inside criminal mastermind who figured out how to rob the place and then you know bring in the crew and rob the place, right? Uh, you Mike, know. Mike, how have you worked with Joe for so long? Huh? Mike, does Joe know where you live? There's because no. you might want to you might want to you might want to up your alarm. Package. Wait a second, where well, I had something sitting on the table here a second ago. <laughs> 
Okay, so, so rel- yeah. relative, so, but still, yeah, I mean, relatively, but, but you no, were doing stuff because right. it was easy. To, it would be easy just to do nothing too, right? So. Yeah, and well, not really. I didn't understand. Do I? You know, I'm scratching my head right now. I don't understand what that means to do nothing. I mean, I'm high and I'm reading books, right? So I didn't understand what it meant to do nothing. That was never my story, right? Yeah. Uh, I just didn't realize that you know, kind of the demons that were driving me to be this negative kind of battler of society and you know try to get what I wanted for what I wanted. If I just kind of turned it around into a different kind of attitude, it, it would be very constructive and very beneficial, not only to me and my eventual family, but lots of other people too. And 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 none of that came, none of that was obvious when I was getting clean, right? So, you, you know, you fast forward, I went to, I, I decided I was going to be a journalist. So I went back to school I, I, at 25 years old. I wrote a bunch of tests to go to Ryerson and and I'm literally smoking crack cocaine all night long and then going and taking the test to go to journalism school the next morning. It's like, that doesn't make sense. Well, they love. Did you pass the Yeah. They loved the way I wrote and they gave me a scholarship. No. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, we want you, you know, move down to Toronto and come to our journalism school. And did you get you know, a budget? Did you get like a budget for crack to keep the, keep the creative juices flowing? <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, you know, you guys are like five seconds from Crack Central, right? Like, I don't know if you know Ryerson's oh, yeah, general yeah, yeah. area. Oh, like, it's bad yeah. news, right? We all know that area yeah, growing yeah, up yeah. in Toronto. So anyways, um, uh, you know, the reason I wanted to be a journalist was because I was going to tell everybody the way it should be. And, you know, I was going to write the truth and, you know, as I saw it and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but I couldn't handle being taught. I, 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 I was unteachable. I was unwilling to have, so I remember being in a class and, and they were presenting their facts on the history and I'm like, but I have these other facts and they don't jibe with your facts. I like and your body language as you said yeah, that. Yeah, it's like, you. <laughs> anyway, so I, I was unteachable. So of course, I, I, the expression I use is I cracked out of Ryerson. That's the expression that I use. To give you an idea when that You've was. You've been to a lot of different institutions. Yes, of all I different have. Ty- all yes, different types of institutions. Absolutely. <laughs> I've been jailed in more provinces than I care to think about. When did you start sharing these? Of what age were your kids when you started sharing these stories with them? Uh, Four. (laughs) My wife was like, live. She's like, what are you doing? Yeah, because my wife told me, like, because she knew in high school, she's like, look, a lot of the things that you did, you're not allowed to tell them at least till they're 25. I'm like, no, no, 25 is too old. I'll go down to 12. And she's like, no, 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 12 is too young. And I'm like, okay, we got to meet somewhere in the middle. I think that. So my wife is, you know, really a straight arrow. Like she tells the story of uh, smoking a joint in high school and feeling so sick that she never wanted any part of it ever again. Um, so I don't think she would have liked me very much back then. But um, it, it was it. She, her opinion was that if you if you look at me today, because most people look at me today and they would never, like Tom said earlier, never have a clue, right? And so um, part of it I always say is that I had hair then. Uh, he still I don't ha- have any he, hair. He, he still has hair. A yeah, little tiny hair. It's probably, no Im- hair. probably implants. I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> after, this, yeah, after this, we can just shave mine yeah, right yeah. off. We'll just get it yeah. done. So anyways, um, my wife had this opinion that if you told them these stories and they looked at me today, because, you know, the kids, they worship the dad and blah, blah, blah. They would think they could do anything they they wanted and it would all work out. So my stories were with my kids were kind of kind of shocking I think for them and they talk about you know my son is uh shockingly successful today for a 19 year old he's got a whole great side story he's actually the director of an NCAA esports program that he created himself 
So he's only in second year university and he created an esports program that's now the largest one running in the United States. And wow. he's going to university and running esports full time. And he also does another job for another private esports company. Oh, I wonder where he gets the hustle yeah, from. Yeah. So I wonder anyways, where he gets that kind of hustle. So he, so he so so but he likes to tell the story when he's streaming about, you know, I can't bring girls home to my house because I never know what my dad might say, right? And and you know, and I think they I think they got sh- you know, it's that whole thing of kind of shocking them into it. And and do I think that they're going to go off and maybe, you know, experiment a little bit when they get a little bit older? Our, our big theory, you know, for the younger people with younger kids in the room and on the podcast is, you know, let's keep them really, really busy. So the only times they get to get sucked into the devices is in between activities as opposed to the activity is being sucked into the device. So our kids were in karate, soccer, hockey, they went to the golf course from age two, which is a great experience because you're all together, you know, and there's no, now my kids will tell you that I put tons of pressure on them. I didn't perceive it that way at the time, but maybe I did. I don't they know. Have their, they have, they their, have their, own, their own scars. Own scars yeah. <laughs> That's right. Everybody gets their own scars. As I said to my daughter recently, when she was feeling sorry for herself, uh, you know, I said, uh, look, you know, I felt like I was unloved by my parents and there's one thing for sure. You'll never tell me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know for sure you'll never tell me or you'll never believe that your parents didn't love you. And I think at the end of the day, that's actually what turned for me. So, you know, to get into some, you know, meaningful stuff, everybody's looking at their clocks already. So uh, how good know, did it feel to say that to your kids, though? Oh, it was amazing. I just said that the other day mm-hmm. for the first time, like in that way, like you're feeling sorry for yourself. Well, you know, I felt sorry for myself too. And, you know, smoke crack, did acid, you know, jumped off this. Yeah, and the that. scars on the golf course are probably different yeah. than the scars from the, the, that right. from the school that you were that's at. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. And, and, you and know. Th- that's something I think Nick and I are both lucky to have is though, even though our, our father, especially pretty much, I don't want to say ignored us because I don't think he intentionally ignored us. It's just that he didn't maybe have a lot of time for us. Is that the same as, yeah, yeah. no, he was, but he, he was always, just around for those yeah, yeah, specific but moments. He, we like, always knew. He loved us. Yeah. Like even when he took his two metal fingers and would like kind of like if we did something wrong, yeah, just yeah. kind of like <laughs> jab us in the side of the head. You know, I just what? realized that's probably why I get so pissed off. Today. When people hit me in the head, I get mad. Very yeah. Quickly. Nick, like Nick, Tom knows. Really? Like, yeah. I, 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 it's people probably joke why because our dad used to poke and twist at the same time. So <laughs> Wait, like, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was <laughs> very good. Like, you do something bad. You like, come here. There's right? a soft spot right between your skull, like right in here. He would just nail that yeah. perfectly. It was real. But we always knew he loved us. But just on that note. And now I know I'm scarred. See, I got my scars. No, I Everybody was, does, you know what right? it was it was my wife's 40th birthday party Do you remember the story about oh, tell? Yeah, oh yeah. my gosh a longtime high school friend of mine he comes I rent a whole bus we all go down to downtown to eat we all jump back on the bus everyone's had a few drinks he's known Nick for a long time he starts getting a little aggressive with Nick because he's had a few drinks he's like oh you think you're a big guy and Nick never really said he was <laughs> a big he used guy to, he used and to like no we used to always play fight like when I was younger but he was always big. Yeah. I, mean, I was 13 and, he was 18 there was a difference right <laughs> yeah and so he then starts kind of pushing at Nick and I think he kind of like tapped Nick's head or hit, hit Nick's head or something I'm like oh oh, 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 oh. <laughs> here we go next thing I know Nick's just running at him this is in a limo bus Nick's full out running at him tackles him throws him down there wrestling in the bus all the wives there were very impressed I mean I was very impressed but uh, anyway, I knew it was going to be trouble. But back to you. So where where do we where are we on this? I don't know. Car thief um, to car salesman? Are we at yeah, that point? Yeah, car thief to car salesman. So you know, not only did I rob and steal, but I you know I I stole a few cars in my day. And um, <laughs> look at Mike. Mike's, Mike Mike has said a word. Mike's <laughs> yeah, like frozen. He's sitting next to me and he's like petrified. He's like in shock. I'm checking my wrist, my pockets. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, for those who don't know Mike DeZormo on here, if you're seeing Mike, <laughs> Mike is the person on the Rockstar team that's worked with you for, I guess, over a decade now. Yeah. Buying properties. Not quite. And, Nick, Nick was stuck with oh, me for yeah, a Nick while. Nick at the beginning? Yeah. Somehow I bought Nick, Nick, Nick triggered all my abandonment issues when you guys were growing in your business. Nick knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> two, pro- two properties. One yeah. one in Hamilton, one townhome. Oh, no, you had already bought the townhome in Oakville. Yeah, you helped you, me. You did yeah, a rental on it. Rent own on it. See? Yeah. I, that's yeah, a long time ago for me to remember. That's a long time. Like, the rent home was... 10 plus years ago. Yeah. And that, you know, I was thinking about what we started buying properties for. I was going to say 193 was, I think, the lowest. and But then you, that was a semi, so it might have been lower. It was probably still in the 190s at that point, right? It was. It yeah, was yeah. under 200. It was grand. under 200. Mm-hmm. I remember. For 199 or something. Yeah. It was, a, was it a semi, semi in Hamilton? Like a back yeah. split but semi. But it was a big semi. And my yeah. kids remember that house because it had clouds in it. It, it had a it had a crawl space that they had finished and they had painted clouds on the walls and on the ceilings of this crawl oh space. God, that's what patience. was happening down there? I have no oh idea, but God. it was like three feet tall and like it was like this weird crawl space. Like had their, had they had I know those. I know. I remember those ones. Yeah, that had we that crawl to, space. It was yeah. like a four, three level side split. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. With the crawl space. They would, they would like get the high and just go lie in the that's crawl right. space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like the tenants I had in there actually. Kind of like that. So anyways, so... Yeah, so um, you were stealing cars. Yeah, so I was stealing cars. And uh, I went from stealing cars to... And getting arrested for stealing cars and going to jail for stealing cars. And uh, then I helped my girlfriend at the time buy a car. And the guy said, boy, you did a really good job ganging up with me on your girlfriend to convince her to buy this car. So you know, the reason was it was a stick and she couldn't drive sticks. So I would get to drive this brand new car that she was buying until she learned to drive. Oh, don't worry, honey. You'll learn to drive it eventually. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the guy, <laughs> the guy offered me uh, the guy offered me a job, and then it became their mission to get me approved to be a car salesman because I had a conviction on my record at the time of being a car thief, and um, uh, I ran into the it used to be called in Ontario it was called the registrar, and this registrar for motor vehicles whatever he was that he used to approve people to be licensed. I ran into him about 20 years later when I was consulting for the new in the new government agency that was rewriting the legislation around about 2000. No, 2005. They had to interpret this legislation that was that was written and nobody knew what it meant. So they reached out to respected dealers and said, "Who do you have in your company that can figure this shit out?" And I got nominated along with another guy at another dealership. And we sat down and basically interpreted the rules that the car dealers in Ontario are using for leasing and financing. And I'm sitting with the guy who approved me. And I told him, do you remember a case where he's like, I remember that guy. I'm sure he's like in jail today. And I'm like, no, that was me. (laughs) I'm sitting here telling you how the rules go that you wrote. (laughs) <laughs> who is joe gloomy yeah is, so, there is little, a book here yeah, a little There's, mysterious someone's gonna get the movie rights to i this have guy. i have told pieces of my story before and that's always my reaction as a matter of fact i have this vision that one day my daughter will be my chronicler and we'll we'll figure it out yeah yeah but um uh so i got you know so i started selling cars and and uh i was i was still wasted and were you stealing the cars off the car dealership I, lot i was not stealing okay. cars off okay. the car dealership lot but i figured out that the used cars all had gas in them and when I had no money I would take my demo and I would leave it there and I would take the keys for the demos and I would drive them and then bring it back I don't know there's no gas in the car boss like I don't know why there's no gas uh anyways um when I when I finally got clean and and I think this is really important I didn't choose to get clean because I was too confused and messed up to understand you know how to change my life it was way I was way too deep 
into a very unhealthy lifestyle to really know any skills. And my parents were kind of out of the picture and so on. And long story short, I made a call, somebody made a call, somebody made a call, somebody made a call, somebody made a call. I called Halifax to a contact in Halifax. And the next thing I knew was a guy knocking on my door here in Ontario. And he was the director of a treatment center for alcohol and drug rehabilitation uh, called Hope Place Centers. That's what it's called today. And uh, so that's my little plug for hopeplacecenters.org. Um, if you're in the Halton region and you know somebody who's got a problem with drug and alcohol addiction, hopeplacecenters.org is a facility, an inpatient facility that helps, it helps new alcoholics and addicts recover from their addictions. That's, that's its primary and, and they, sole purpose. And they helped you. Well, yeah, but I was a case, right? So I got in there. It was a 90-day treatment program. And at the end of 90 days, they said, we think you should stay. And I'm like, I've never heard of that before. And they said, we've never done it before. But you should stay for another 90 days. And uh, so I stayed for another 90 days. And at the end of that 90 days, the guy uh, showed me his notes. And it said, Joe will never uh, succeed. He'll, oh, never, he'll never stay sober. Um. And, and I think the reason that he showed me those notes was, again, kind of, you know, another version of shocking Shock, me into yeah. reality. And now I've been six months in this thing, right? It took everybody else 30 days, 90 days to get through it. It's six months. I'm still trying to figure it out. And because I was, I just, I was unteachable. And I wouldn't listen to anybody else's way of doing anything ever for any purpose at all for anything. It was my way. That was it. It was what I wanted. If I wanted to have that, I would get that. If I wanted to do this, I would do this. I just wasn't teachable. And uh, he, was, he was right and he was wrong, obviously. Uh, he was right in the sense that at the first six months I was out of the place, I ended up using again for a short period of time. So I ended up getting high again one last time. And I got clean in December uh, of 1993. So what's that? That's coming up on 27 years. Wow. So clean means no drugs, been no alcohol, since? no nothing. I won an award one time uh, in the car business for volume sales or something, and it was at a winery. And there's like they're gonna have like you know nine servings of wine, and I'm like flipping over the glasses, and they're all looking at me like I'm a lunatic, right? And I'm like I don't drink, sorry. And then they served ice wine as one of, the, and I'm like okay, I'm gonna try. You know, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a sorbet, right? So let me try. It. Oh, I, I don't know. That's, so that's the only time I've had alcohol in the... Wow. Uh, Congrats, man. That's a long awesome. time. That is a long time. But you were teachable then when you decided you wanted to Once be Once I was completely freaking broken. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a lot being skipped over there. And, but yeah, I, was, I had you know, destroyed relationships. I had destroyed family ties. I had you know, hurt everybody. I had lied, cheated, stolen, manipulated. I was... You know, I was uh, I was in bad shape. I, I the other thing was I was 117 pounds when I got clean. Holy and crap! Three quarters of that was hair. <laughs> lots of hair, wow. lots of mustache and beard and whatever else I had. So and those people that were trying to help you, how do, do they get funding just by donations or do they get funding by the government? Because uh, this is a big part of your like they yeah they, the so, fact that a service like that exists yeah. for people that are going through things like you, even yeah. though it didn't work in the 90 days. Seems it like worked. it played a pretty good. It, no, yeah. it, it played it, the foundation. Yeah, honestly, the, the the institution played a foundation too, because the whole principle in the institution was take responsibility for your actions, and you'll probably be a lot better which, off. Which institution? The one in Maine. When I was in, yeah, when I was yeah. a teenager, it yeah. just didn't click right, time, and it yeah. and it took like thirteen years for whatever for it to click, and uh, but yeah, that's that's you know they introduced me to the twelve step 
programs to AA and NA and that sort of thing. And that's, you know, and, and, and that's kind of what, you know, it's that, it's that um, community of other people trying to do the same thing, not unlike Rockstar Real Estate, trying to do, achieve the same goals, trying to go in the same direction. The community of 12-step recovery is, is, you know, a big, big part of my story today because this community is somebody that I can lean on, you know, people I can rely on and trust and friends and relationships and support mechanisms and so on. So, yeah. Man, so. I feel grateful to hear this story. Like, geez, Joe, I had no idea everything that you have gone through. Yeah. I just thought you were, I don't know, this kind of outgoing, happy guy that, uh, you know, did some stuff with properties with Nick and then bought some properties with Mike. And you just were, I don't know, like a sales guy, like just this kind of outgoing sales guy. You know, to, to think there's all this behind your story is Thank just God you heard this story, you know, and I didn't ask you for a job three no. years ago or whatever it was when I left my job because no, no. you would have heard it all then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me just put yeah. my phone away yeah. while, while you talk. Uh, no, 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 no. I, think, I think the value of a, of a person is just the values that they hold, and I don't think we can be judged on our past. It's who you are now as a person, right? Like, I don't think to judge someone on the way they were at a certain point in their lives, that environment, we, who knows, we don't know what you were going through. And I, I think you're allowed to change in life. I think that should be allowed. And I think that's a big part of what's missing in today's world. I yeah, think in today's world, for sure. we judge people on something they said 10 15 years, years ago. ago when they were 20 years old. And I mean, look at, at all of us in our late teens and early twenties, I've, I've said and done stupid things that, and yeah. but I've changed as a person. And looking back, I'm like the person, the me today wouldn't do that now. And maybe, maybe not, you can't like, you know, you can't just erase it completely, but like you got to give them, people can change too. Yeah. Right? Well, look at that place in Maine. Obviously that sounds kind of insane what you went through, but at the time that was allowed. So the people in there, if they are alive today, if they're a good person today, I don't know. I'm going to say that was crazy what you did back then, yeah. but I'm not going to hate on them or judge them based on what they did 20, 30 no, years ago. And that was a big place. This was not a small place. This was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. This was not like 20 really? kids. That's this crazy. was hundreds and hundreds over That's multiple crazy to hear. And I am aware at the time, and even many years later, I was aware of some people who went through it who recovered and who one went to work for the place. And she worked there for years afterwards. And she was always somebody I respected who, you know, she worked for the place. And, and we stayed in touch right into the late 90s. You know, many, I'm still trying to think of that later. guy dressed up as a baby holy yeah. that one's that one's freaky <laughs> that's that yeah. one. well let's keep going because there's so, so much more to your story golf what why is golf important here yeah it's golf that's important um no wait did we miss something that's, though? That's we missed something. disagree there was institutions and death yes jails institutions and death what was the death so part? for anybody for anybody listening on this that knows that expression that's a expression in a 12-step recovery program and it's kind of it's a mantra there's many one of the skill sets that people learn uh, to stay clean, to, to get off the dope, is that they've got to have a different language in their head. And having a different language in your head, you know, I referred to discipline earlier in this conversation. Having a language in your head that's different than the language that you've always said to yourself is absolutely key to changing anything in life. It doesn't matter if it's fitness or if it's getting off the dope or if it's, or if it's just, you know, getting up in the morning and going to your job. You have to have a language in your head that empowers you to do that and uh, one of the mantras in in recovery is this idea of you know we go on to the bitter ends jails institutions and death or we found a new or m many of us have found a new way to live and so the reason i mentioned jails institutions and death there was just to pause and evoke you know the 
many, many, many people that I've known personally that have died from addiction. So I went to the jails. I went to the institutions. I had some very entertaining near-death experiences that might come up in another conversation in the future. Um, you know, one that jumps to mind is the guy who thought I was a cop when I was buying the drugs. So he decided he was like 16 times bigger than me. He would pin me down and, you know, prove to himself I was a cop by seeing if I bled the same color that police officers bled. You know, it was like near death. <laughs> Trust me. Holy and shit. then he's like, OK, let's prove it by giving you five times the dose of the drug that you should take. And if you survive it, it means you're an addict because only an addict will have enough immunity to this. You know, it's like if you drink a lot of alcohol, you need more to get to get drunk. Right. So luckily I was an addict. Otherwise, I would be dead. <laughs> Uh, right. Uh, so, you know, jails, institutions and death. But I had a I've had a number of close friends. I was trying to help a guy who, um, you know, wonderful, wonderful, kind, kind individual. And he just he just couldn't put it together. And years and years of trying to get sober and literally legitimately trying to stop using drugs, but always winding up in the same jackpots. And I was holding like his last thousand bucks and he, and he handed it to me when he was sober and he said, hold this for me. And then we're sitting on my porch one day, my wife, my little kids, and this, this, this pickup truck full of people hanging off the back of the truck and, you know, give me my thousand bucks. Like the guy comes up to my front porch. It's like, give me my thousand bucks. You know, it's like, okay, I guess I'm giving you There's like 10 people out there. They're all like, look, even worse than you do. I think I'll give you your thousand bucks. And, and I was kind of one of the last times I talked to him and he died of his addiction. Um, I, you know, you've heard of John Belushi dying of a speedball. I know people personally who have died of speedballs. And um, when I went to the funeral, one of the funerals, they had me, one of the two families had me speak at the funeral. And uh, there was a... Uh, in the one case, the mother had already, or the mother was deteriorating quickly. She's only my age. So she's only in her early 50s. And she, so at this time, she would have been in her early 40s. But she was grossly deteriorating, like really poor health from a combination of alcohol and drugs and whatever else was going on in her body. And it was clear she wasn't going to survive much longer. And they had a 16-year-old kid. And within about a year, the mother died. And the father died of a speedball. So when you, you know, when you, so that's, you know, jails, institutions, and death. So there's a reminder there about what you can be in life if you make the right choices. And if you choose now, uh, it can all change. It's just about choosing now, right now, it can all change. And if you, if you choose to continue on the same path, you're going to get the rewards of that path that you're on. And that can be, again, we talk about any path that you're on. So what's, what's interesting is, is these two guys across from me are a little bit blown away by this, but they have no idea how often they're carrying a message of recovery in their work. So you guys may not realize that the language that you speak is really just that. It's a message of self-healing. It's a message of, 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 of improving yourself and learning a, a new way to do something. Because, you know, if you're not counterculture in this society, I don't know who is, right? Like, yeah, you're doing a podcast today, which is kind of putting you in the kind of the, you know, with all the other guys. But um, maybe you'll do that TV show I envision one day. 
But uh, uh, but the point is, is that you know you're carrying a message of look, you got to think, you got to look deeper, you've got to understand more. You can't just gloss the surface. You can't just live with the current status quo. If you choose to keep working 40 hours a week for the next 40 years, you're gonna you, you know you better be working for somebody who's paying you a pension because otherwise you're gonna be pretty miserable. And even that pension's probably gonna be indexed to something that you're not gonna be too happy about. And so, you know, that message of, of, of improving yourself and healing is one of the reasons why I followed you for so long. As a matter of fact, it's probably one of the two or three biggest reasons why I followed you for so long, because it really is another way of recovering and improving myself is to learn those lessons from you guys. So it's part of the journey for me. Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. thanks, yeah. Joe. Yeah. So what do you want to ask about? Real, that's actually real, real, yeah. real estate and finances. Yeah, I mean... I, I think the I think the big story is is that you know I got clean in 1993. I didn't have a pot to piss in. Um, I literally had a frying pan. <laughs> I don't know why I owned a frying pan, but I had a frying pan. You cook drugs or something? Yeah, like that. I don't know. I, don't I had know. a frying pan. <laughs> and when they gave me my stuff when I got out of the treatment center, you know, after being there really long, I I you know I rented a room again. Like it was like you know deja vu, right? And and uh, the guy that I'd worked for in the car business when I was a waste case said, oh, you should come back and work for me again. And so I started working for him again and making a little bit of money. And, um, and you know, and when I, when I wanted to start saving some money and, and start growing that money, uh, uh, you know, I was influenced by some people around me and some books and some information that I had read that said, you know, follow what everybody else is doing, get into the market. My dad was always big in the market and, and, you know, interested in the market and, and which market now stock market, stock market. market. Okay. And, uh, you know, he had, um, you know, he had some stocks in the, you know, he, he had an original Apple computer. Oh, wow. Right. And he had, he had Apple stocks when I was a kid. Oh, okay. And, you know, but he was an active guy. So I don't think he held those much longer than when Apple got into trouble in the early eighties. Right. So, but anyways, so, you know, I fell under the influence of a guy who said, look, you don't have time to manage your money. So let me manage your money for you and you, you can save with me. And we started saving money with him. And, and the end result is the same story you've heard a hundred times. You know, one day we realized, wait, there's less money in there than there was when we started. <laughs> like all the money I've put in, there's even less than there was. And I like how so he that, laughs when he shares that story. Well, was, I have a theory about money that uh, that comes, comes to that picture that you were asking about. Uh, and it's a little um, counterculture for this room, maybe. Um, my theory about money is, is that there's absolutely no purpose to it except to use it for things that make me happy. Oh, and I think that's so not count. That we we believe in the, that 100. percent The problem is I'm not sure I'll live past 60 based on the consumption <laughs> of my earlier. So I'm doing it now, man. I'm like I try to live now. I try to I try to enjoy the now. I'm not necessarily all that worried about what happens. You know, when I'm 65. If COVID hasn't like, taught, look, look. If we don't all, point, if we don't yeah. all have the story that you have, yeah. if COVID hasn't taught it, we were. How many times have we said something? Oh, pre-COVID, when we used, you know, my family used to go on a trip every uh, fall to New York City. We yeah. loved it. We did yeah. two walking to love yeah. New York City. This year, not going to go. Yeah. And, you know, that was pre-COVID. If, if, if you haven't learned the lesson of living your life right now through this, I don't yeah, know when you're always going to do it next year. I mean, how many? We bought that property in Croatia 10 years ago when we really didn't have the money to do it. It wasn't that expensive of a property, but we were funneling anything we had back into growing this business. Yeah. We somehow we just felt it was right to like get it now we had young kids take the kids there like uh, we got to live now it is it's a wonderful yeah community. and looking back on that 10 years because we weren't able to go this summer first summer in 10 years and the kids are like i can't believe we're not going but the memories that we have because we chose to live now 
has been huge. So sorry, I don't want to get no, off track. No, no, no. That's that's uh, you know that's I believe very much the same. Uh, the difference is is that my consumption uh, did all kinds of crazy things to my hormones, to my joints. I've got I've got disorders right now that you know I look reasonably good and you look great yeah yeah well i'm hoping i get some surgery in the uh in the winter time that uh removes some kind of out of control hormone in my neck uh but that would be like the third part of the endocrine system that's gone haywire in the last 20 years you have to just contextualize this for two weeks straight i ate one piece of bread but i peed all the time I never ate anything. So that was your muscles just breaking down? I was literally urinating my body away. Ugh. One piece of bread I ate, and I couldn't get it, it you in. One piece of bread, not a day, like for the whole two weeks? For the whole two weeks. <laughs> I couldn't even comprehend that. It took me a little while to just even get, yeah. get holy. Yeah, and I must have been drinking some water because you die if you don't hydrate, I think. But I was, I realized at the end of it, I was like, I'm, I'm still urinating like multiple times a day, and I haven't eaten or drank anything. There's a problem here. That's how you get to 117. Holy When cow. you're 175 today, right? I can't even believe you survived through that. That's neither like, can I. Yeah. But I can tell you, it did a crazy thing to the my. The body's astonishing. Yeah. Like, like, and I was thinking that earlier when you were speaking to do that much punishment to it for on a regular basis. And there's people that do far more. Yeah, people that absolutely. Do less, yeah. But to look at you today, and maybe there's you know internal things, but for the body to it's be able to. It's been pretty good, relatively speaking. I know people that are a lot worse off than me that are carrying around a lot of really chronic stuff, and I know people that have died in their 50s and 60s as a direct result of what they did when they were in their teens, 20s, and 30s because that just destroyed their bodies. Yeah. I'm somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. I, I, I think I'm, again, I think I'm smart enough that I can pursue a course of treatment. You know, it took some time. I've got some disorders that are kind of difficult to diagnose, and they finally, just recently, one got diagnosed, and now I know there's a potential surgery on the horizon. It's been kind of put on the list of, you know, delayed by COVID because I can survive as I am. But I've got, uh, at 53 years old, I've got osteopenia, which is the precursor to osteoporosis. And it's a direct result of the endocrine system being completely <laughs> destroyed in my teens and 20s, right? Um, I want to pause there for yeah. a sec. Nick, are you, we're going to keep going through the yeah. story. Do you have to take off? Because we're going to go long. Shortly. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So back, back to the investing. So you had, a, I believe, a financial advisor. Did yeah, you yeah. have to set him straight because you wanted to increase your portfolio, but he didn't want to This is the financial the advisor who had the... So the, the classic uh, thing is, is let me ask you guys a question. If I sold all my real estate and then I sent you guys an email saying, hey, I here's need... Here's the money that I made. No, no. Oh. <laughs> and I sent you guys an email. Thank you. Here's all the money. <laughs> No, I sent you guys an email saying I need your opinion on this new venture. Do you think I'd get a reply from you guys? Yeah, yeah I think we've so that that investment. Yeah, you've replied to a hundred people on similar kind of experiences. Well, Yuri, any, any email you send us, we yeah, reply absolutely. to. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, uh, you know that investment advisor is kind of quasi. He was a close friend. And, you know, one day I went to him and I said, I've got, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars invested with you. Some of it's in RSP, some of it's in TFSAs. I'm pulling it all and I'm buying houses with it. And they said to me, uh, one of the things they said to me was, listen, you know, if you leverage it three times. So if you take your money and you borrow three times that money and you invest all that in the market, you'll get roughly the same return as if you pull the money and buy real estate with it. Like, really? So if I, you know... If I borrow a million dollars and toss it into the market and cross my fingers, that'll that might get me the same return on my original invest. And the, the logic is, you, you know, you put twenty five percent down, so three times your money is what you need to 
right? Anyway, he's still an acquaintance today, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a friend. What I found was that he ran out of things to talk to me about as soon as I stopped investing with him. He, he no longer had anything to talk to me about. Despite the fact that, you know, we do have a lot in common. We've, we've shared a lot of, you know, experiences together. He is a golfer. <laughs> you know, you can never really be my close friend unless you're yeah, a golfer. That's, all, that's why Joe's kind of been like, you know, he's always like around, but never really. I've actually left some rock star events because I had a tea time. And you asked and I didn't answer the question. So what is it about golf? What is it about that? It's, it's probably similar to what it's been for Nick over the years with working out. There's a pursuit of improvement that you can never really um, succeed. You, you know, you can, you can meet goals, but you'll never be the best at it. You'll never be the one. You'll never be the superstar. You'll just be you trying to improve. And for me with golf, and I think a lot of other people too, you know, when they snap the clubs over their shoulders, they're doing that because, you know, over their knee, they're doing that because they wish they could improve, right? It may not be the best strategy to improve. Uh, you got one less club now, but but it gives you something to focus on too, it's, like there's a mentally. Focus, there's mental. There's also some activity. Like I hate working out. Look at me. Look at you guys. I hate working out. I hate it. And the reason I hate it is because it's boring as shit. I literally would have to be in a competition. So I kind of get a Peloton and then, you know, find a version of where you compete with the other fat people that have never worked out before. And I'll compete with them to see who gets better because that's the only, I have to compete. I have to be like, there has to be the benefit of, oh, you know, did I reduce my heart rate today? Like, you know, like none of that works for me. Yeah. So when I used to go to the gym all the time was to play racquetball, right? And I used to play racquetball with buddies and, and you know, and we'd beat the hell out of each other in the racquetball court. And as, you know, as you tear your meniscus and tear your MCL and tear two, el two ligaments <laughs> in these elbows and so on and so forth, it becomes less interesting to play racquetball as you get older when you're doing that kind of stuff. And so golf has been that for me. It's been a, it's an activity I can do. And the other thing is I can share it with my wife. And so, um, you know, we, we golf together and, you know, we've had our struggles over the years, but, you know, one of the many unifying components is, is the travel and the time together on the golf course. We're going to go, shh, don't tell my boss because I still have a boss. Uh, we're going to go golfing at uh, 3 o'clock today. Oh, nice. <laughs> and, you know, so... It's a nice day for you. you gotta go, you yeah, gotta look, yeah, it's going to be good. So, you know, so golf has been really good. And it's also been a source of a lot of close friendships and a lot of travels with other people and, and just experiences. And, and we laugh. The friends that I have on the golf course today, we make fun of each other and we just laugh. Yeah. And, you know, I like, I, I think it's really therapeutic to laugh. And Everyone one of them is like a raging alcoholic. It's the funniest thing. Like two of us are sober. And this guy's like, I don't play well until I have my third beer on the golf course. And so he's got like 10 beers in him, but we got to drive him home. And he's like one of our closest golf buddies today. And we're like, what's the reason for this? It must be that we're influencing this guy somehow. And I'm like, I don't know. We're basically acting like idiots out here. We're not really acting like really healthy, you know, mature people on the golf course. You know, so anyways. So it's, it's, it's an important part for me uh, of, of just being part of a community. And, and, and my story is, is that I used to uh, rent an apartment for four or $500 a month. And I didn't have a pot to piss in. And I used to drive up and down Highway 25. And I'm like, oh, there's a new dump going in. Look at that. They're building something on the other side. I wonder what that's going to be. And then the sign goes up and it's Rattlesnake Point Golf Club, right? And I look into it and it's like way too much money to join. It's like hundred thousand dollars to join this golf club right and i'm like one day i'm gonna join and i did 
Oh, nice. Now it wasn't a hundred when I had to, when I joined. I figured out a deal. I didn't oh, go. I didn't go break in. We wouldn't put it past you. We wouldn't He stole a membership. Yeah, card. I <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I didn't steal a membership. <laughs> but the I price felt like a steal. Yeah, that's right. It felt like a steal. That's right. Congrats, so, man. Yeah, Congrats. So you know, it was like one day I'm going to do that. When one was when was that? That was 2002, 2003. I already had one property at that time before you guys. I think. A little bit before awesome. you guys, um, and um, you know, just I was earning, and I wanted to do it. And you know, this is part of that message of you know spending money now. Like I've spent a lot of money. Like for somebody with no wherewithal today, like you know, some days my wife and I look at each other like you know, <laughs> if we didn't have a really nice backyard and we didn't have you know the two golf memberships and we hadn't gone on all those trips. And I'll just tell a quick story about that. My mother was on her deathbed. She had a stroke. And I have three older siblings. And one of them is very, very religious. And there's all these rules surrounding burial and what day of the week and all these things. And she had a stroke and she's brain dead. But the decision's made that there's not going to be any nutrition. So she's going to die naturally. And it's going to take however long it takes. And my mother was kind of looked like me. She never really worked out. But she was always youngish and healthy and and she lasted and lingered a long time while she was dying. And she wasn't, she was brain dead. Like she literally, there was a, there was a shot of her brain and there was one big clump. Like it oh, just, geez. it was a massive stroke. So she never felt anything. It, it was really a good way to go, really. If you have to die, it's like one minute you're there, the next minute you're not. And that's a gift and that won't happen to me. I'll have a lingering, long, painful death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... The but, suffering right? that you must but endure. My, yeah. but, you know, so my, so my mother's lying in her deathbed and, and, and I'm watching my siblings and they're all agonizing about, you know, and they're all bickering and getting all upset about, you know, how this is going to go and it's the middle of winter and we're in Halifax and people can't fly in because there's a storm and what are we going to do? There's going to be there. She's going to have a parade. Literally, they had a parade almost for her. Like there was like, you know, police and all this stuff. And how's that all going to go? And how are we going to organize it? And all that came into my mind was I'm going to get a little bit of money from her passing away and I'm going to fucking spend it on a really great trip for my fucking family. And I, within weeks of her passing away, I'm like, you know what? What would my mother really want from us in that situation? She would want us to be kind to each other and love each other and, and, and feel good about being in the room. It's a tough situation, but nurture the people that are in pain and, and, and be positive and supportive of the people that need the support. And, and everybody's bickering, right? And I'm like, fuck this. I'm not going to bicker. I'm going to take you know this and I'm going to find a way to have something to look forward to that's positive that she would enjoy and so we went on that Scotland trip and I sent you guys pictures of it we were standing on the Swilkham Bridge and the old course of St. Andrews and and you know, I remember that picture and it was a spectacular trip and now it's knowing just, the story behind that picture yeah, is it's an unbelievable it's an unbelievable thing to stand at the home of golf which is something that's really big for me today and and important to me and, and know all the history of all the people that have gone through there and kind of look up and say, you know, thanks, Mom, right? And, uh, cool. you know, and so that's... Jeez. There's, ma- there's just many facets to this story. Yeah. I'm like, holy yeah. crap. How did you trade one new house for two motorcycles? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> I've never had anyone give us the list, yeah. but this is great. <laughs> okay, so what story... Yeah. Each one of these so points is like a movie. Yeah. Okay, you tell so, us. So this is... There's the easy, legal version is, and the illegal yeah, version. That's right. Yeah, and, I, and you know what? I've been pardoned for all my uh, criminal activities. <laughs> I want everybody to know that I can travel across the border today and... Uh, 
it's all a long time in the past. It's all past. There's no uh, statute or whatever. Uh, so yeah, if I work for you, I apologize. I tried to make amends back then. Uh, I did go and deliver money to people and uh, say, I did this 10 years ago. Here's some money. I hope it's enough. I did apologize. you really? You Absolutely. Did, eh? huh. And that, cause that's one of the steps too. That's, so you try to go make amends. Yeah. Became willing is step eight and made the amends is step nine. So even if someone like from 10 years ago, you go, they must have been like, who the hell are you? And like, yeah, what are so you doing? Somebody here? was renting a room to me and they decided for whatever reason, there's like three people renting the room and they decided that I was out. <laughs> it was like two weeks before Christmas. Like, get the fuck out. Like, you've got no place to sleep. And I'm like, well, that's not really fair. Like, and they're all arguing and they're fighting with each other. And I think it's because they were all drinking again. It was a sober house, but everybody was drinking and I wasn't. So it's like, get the hell out. Right. And I'm like, screw you. I can solve this. And, you know, on my way out, I took the bag with all the, the purse with all the money and said, OK, now I got my rent back because they weren't even going to give me my rent back for the first and last or whatever it was. So I took it all. And then I'm like, uh oh, you know, that a few weeks later, I'm like, that was wrong. Maybe it was a few months later. It's probably a few months later. And I went back to pay them back. Like it took me probably six months to get enough money to pay them back after I realized I had to pay them back. And even though it was my money that I took, I had to pay them back. And uh, I went back and they were gone. And so I tell that story a lot to new people in recovery because they're like, oh my God, do I have to go make amends to everybody that I ever harmed? And, and how's that going to go? I'm going to get shot, you know, like, <laughs> right? And, oh, shit. And, and the key is, the key is, no, you have to be willing to make amends. And sometimes when you're willing and you take all the right actions, you will get rewarded and it won't go, you know, the, the negative way you think it'll go. If you're willing and you take the actions, it'll often work out in a way that's beneficial for all. And now it gets to be a good story to tell, too. You know, you show up back with your thousand bucks or whatever it was I took. And here's your thousand. Not even the same people on the buzz code of the, you know, right? So never seen any of them again. 20 plus years later. They'll probably come out of the woodwork now. Uh, but yeah, here in the yeah, podcast. They're, 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 hey, you owe me money. There's gonna be a, lo- a long list of them. Make sure you give all your email addresses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll, the, I'll see you before you leave. I okay. Up for some stuff. Motorcycles. Here's the story. I, I. Do, do you? How much do you know of Mike's story? Not very much, actually. Mike, Mike's you, a very yeah, circumspect yeah. individual. <laughs> Mike's got a really interesting story. We won't go into uh, Mike. Mike shared it a little bit here and there, but Mike's coming out with a new book, and in the introduction of your book. You share a lot of your story, more than I've really seen you share before. Yeah. For, yeah. I feel that at some point you and Joe have to share. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> stories do not match. No, sorry. Okay. 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 One, for perspective. One 100. No, no. But Joe's. I mean, you, yeah, you've gone through a lot as well. Yeah. We and, all have. We all have. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, Sometimes I don't, I know you say that and hearing Joe and then hearing you say that and you don't know all the details of Mike's yeah. story, but Mike's had a journey as well. And yeah, maybe it's not the same level of journey <laughs> that you've had, Joe. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I mean that of all respect. It is what it is. Yeah. I just mean that yeah, out of, out of respect it's coming from there. It's just sometimes I, I look at my life. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I really had a crazy journey. You know, I did. Uh, Nick and I went through our, our parents were flipping properties like even then when I think we, we might have lost everything is like, ah, but we didn't, you know, mm-hmm. like we kind of got through it. CRA froze our bank accounts, didn't have money to pay for the utilities and stuff, but then we kind of got through that. So like, if, I don't every, know. if everybody had the same life experience, how boring. Would yeah, that no, be, it's right? true. Yeah, yeah. And so I think there's this fascinating, you know, thing about, you know, what you've experienced and how you 
carry it forward in life and what he's experienced, what I've experienced and what we all do. I mean, you know, for, for everybody today, serving others, you know, you guys, we were talking about it before about, you know, Graybrook and then Equiton and, you know, not a lot of people are getting referred to Equiton today. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, they're not coming out to events. And even though it's a good product and, you know, you guys, you guys endorse it, it's not like there's any money flowing there and, but you still endorse it and you're not that worried about it because it's service. It's something that you give back and that's your way of giving back. You've got, you know, a, a lot of opportunity to help people. And I've got ways that I help people. I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to the current residents of that Hope Place Centers right? Uh, they got me on a Zoom call and I shared my story with them. And, you know, these people are, you know, 30 days into the treatment or 10 days or one guy was the first day. And I'm sharing my story about being stuck there, you know, having to stay for twice as long and so on. And, you know, so we all give back in different ways. So I'm sure Mike is giving back in a number of oh. ways himself. And that's what we do with, we take our life experience and we have a choice to make. We can either, um, you know, share to help the benefit of our society or we can take for ourselves and um, those who take end up having a diminishing return on what they take they just you can't you can't get from taking you have to get from giving what's going on with covid and programs like that it, it that's I, tough. I worry about mental health because uh, so, so those people were so not we at all. the facility they were all no, they were in the facility oh, we're, okay at this good. point they're back in the facility okay but, you know, the individual meetings, we've, we, a lot of us have talked about what we call the addict, the new addict or the addict who's still suffering. And, uh, it's a, it's not good. Like I would not have seeked out an online meeting. Like I wouldn't have, I had to bring the, there's an old line. You got to bring the body and the results will follow, right? Like you can't just kind of, you know, hide on the couch. So it's, 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 I think it's devastating on the mental health. We, we were just talking to a firefighter that mm -hmm. we know. Yeah. And we were just asking him, you know, he doesn't have the hard data, but just from what you're yeah. seeing or you're seeing just more drug uh, overdoses and stuff. And he said they are, and they, he can't tie it directly back to COVID and people no. being locked up and stuff, but they are seeing more. And so we kind of have this correlation. I don't know if it's a causation thing, but it's a correlation. And it's uh, that's the whole other story of COVID that's bothering me. It's like we're so focused on this one thing. And, and rightly or wrongly, I mean, we can all debate it, how, how we've all handled that as a country forever. But there's all these other things that seem to be slipping that we're not paying attention to that are really important. And we're getting off so, top. I want to get back to your story. I yeah, wanna... I just, I'll just tell you one thing about that. The organizations involved that are, you know, their primary purpose is to help people who are suffering are working very tirelessly to find solutions. And I've seen a number Um you know, there's a mixture of online and in-person meetings now. There's, you know, this treatment center now, Hope Place Centers and Holton Recovery House for Men. These 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 places have people in the house again. And so they're doing what they can. They're just meeting, you know, it's probably 10 people. It's less than 10 people are in that house because that's the number of people that is currently regulated, right? And and so they're doing what they can, but I hear you. I, I agree. Did we, I don't even know, did we get to the house the with the two motorcycles? No, no, so I'm unteachable. Mike, we asked that, yeah, that yeah. question like so, 10 minutes ago. <laughs> we, I, mean, I think so, I've asked it three times so, now. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so unteachable. So, so what is the core of my uh, um, dis-ease? The core of my dis-ease. So we call, you know, addiction is a disease, right? But really when you split it up, it's dis-ease. And what it really means is I'm not at ease. And what does that mean? Well, it means that somebody's poking me with a, with a hot poker in my knee or whatever. That's not at ease. But really what's happening is self-talk and the specific self-talk is fear. 
And so everybody experiences fear. And, uh, and, you know, there was a time in my life when as a recovering addict, I was so scared that I had to, you know, I, I couldn't sleep. I was so anxious that I thought somebody was literally going to break into my window and come and kill me. And, you know, strangely enough, I've had people break into my window and try and kill me. So there's some legitimacy in it. <laughs> oh my God. But, but, having, <laughs> but having said that, you know, when Dude, I was anyone clean. Anyone else says that, I don't believe it. But Joe, I feel like that's one of many times, yeah, you know. When, oh when I was kicked down the front door and, you know, come in raging. But uh, <laughs> so I had some fears when I was cl- getting clean. So, you know, I had to overcome those kind of fears, right? So, so you know, when I was investing in, in real estate, you know, one of my fears was a million dollars of debt. Okay, that was a big fear, right? And a normal fear, normal, yeah. yeah. And and it was kind of interesting, good and bad because you know, I I I I'll never forget talking to Ruben Furtado, and he had just flipped his, you know, the oh, one that, that must you guys have been a short a- story between Joe and Ruben. <laughs> Joe, I don't feel like you have a short stories, and Ruben is notorious for saying, "I'll yeah. make this short," yeah, which yeah. means it's going to be the longest story ever. <laughs> So, so so that was a six hour meeting yeah, that you yeah. guys had. So so you know, he's he's he flipped the house and I said to him, So what are you gonna do next? And he said, you know, I'm gonna invest in, you know, Oakville north of Dundas Street. And that was my, you know, the primary takeaway. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm doing the same thing. I bought a house, but when the hospital that's there now was was, you know, not even a hole in the ground, but there was a sign up saying one day there will be a hospital here. I bought a brand new house directly on the other side of the Dundas Street. And it was, you know, I focus on end unit townhouses because they seem to have some additional value and typically don't cost all that much more. And, um, but they're, they're much more comfortable to live in, more light, blah, 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 more yard, et cetera. And uh, so I bought this end unit townhouse and, uh, and, and in the period of buying it to closing on it, I started having conniptions about the debt and do I pick up the phone at the time it would probably would have been Nick because it was a long time ago but it might have been Mike do I pick up the phone and call anybody and say get you know, me out what of do this. I do like should I do anything here what do I do so what do I do I, I I know all kinds of real estate agents I got a few buddies I got customers that are real estate agents so I call up the local Oakville guy that spent some money with me in the car dealership world and said you know I, I gotta I gotta flip this house and you know we've done this this and this and and let's flip it and and, you know, he, he flipped it and I made some money. And uh, the net result of that was I made, let's call it 35 grand. I think okay. I know where this story is going. So I bought two motorcycles, right? <laughs> oh, got it. Okay, sorry. I thought you were going to say you noted if you had kept the property. Well, that's what and, I was going to oh, say. Oh, okay, next. okay. But you bought two motorcycles. So I bought got two it. motorcycles that I paid, you know, let's call it 20, 25 grand for the motorcycles, all the gear and insurance and everything, right? So now every year I get a bill for insurance, 1600 bucks for our two motorcycles. And I no longer have the house that I paid, wait for it, 300 grand for yeah, oh my in God. Oakville. Oakville. Oh. A three bedroom What is it worth house. now? What do you think it's worth now if you have to guess? Nine, eight, oh nine. Yeah, no, but we've all done that. We've all done that. Yeah. If so, anyone, just really quick, if anyone listening to this, if you close on the property and then go through that frustrating period where you have no equity in it and you survive a couple of years, then you can refinance it, pull out the money to buy the motorcycles and then use some of it. call Tom and Nick. No, and no, ask, no, no. But, but, but this is what we all do. And but Nick and I have done the same thing. With my brother-in-law, we sold a student rental by York University. Um, from, I remember for, when you bought this and when you sold yeah, it. And for, I was like, why did they sell? Oh, yeah. No, I'm rental. so happy you're asking me that because 
because I tell this story and my brother-in-law, I don't know if he's listening right now or not, <laughs> but there was a mouse in the basement and the girls that were renting freaked out. They ran to the library during exam time and they wouldn't go back to the house. <laughs> and I guess, I think he was busy with his business. You know, real estate always comes, the, the problems always come at an inconvenient time. Yeah, for sure. And uh, he said, oh, I can't, you know, I don't, I don't think he wanted to deal with it. I ended up calling a company that went in, put the traps. I think they caught the mouse or whatever they did and it was safe to go back. But that was like the straw that broke the camel's back on that property because there was a series of other yeah. things. And ultimately, we sold that house, in my mind, over a mouse. And <laughs> <laughs> and we paid more capital gains. I'll never oh, forget. Yeah. I will never forget paying the capital gains on that. Um, but that's why we sold it. It was a mouse, Joe. So well, that's a, how intelligent we... See? Yeah. You think we got it all figured yeah, out over here? No. It. We you sold it. You had to call Mike and ask him his opinion, <laughs> yeah. which is what hey, I did Mike, recently. A, yeah. Mike, exactly. what should I do with yeah. my... What yeah. should I do with my... Other end unit townhouse oh. in Oakville that I just completely renovated. Is it causing renovated. you a problem? And is it causing you a problem? Oh, it was a it was a big problem. Yeah. it's all renovated. It's all cleaned up. It's beautiful. And instead of getting rid of it, Mike's like, Mike's like, listen, I make lots of money if you sell this house. Do not sell this yeah. house. Yeah. That's why Mike is. We call him Super Mike. That's why he's Super Mike because he'll tell you what he really believes. So did you? But sometimes you just have to. Sometimes you just gotta sell family reasons. So we know. once we once sold a house with a tenant in it because the tenant was going senile, and we we had. A, was that up on the Hamilton Mountain? No, that was no. one in Georgetown. Okay, and this okay. is worse. Listen to this: two hundred and forty-five thousand dollars, not legal duplex that the fire marshal found out about and forced us to make safe. So the thing was totally ready to be made legal and we had a basement tenant who walked in one day we're renting and he said you know he's an older guy and he said i'll take it and he starts paying me whatever it was at the time eight hundred dollars a month it was eight hundred dollars a month down thirteen hundred up on a house that we paid 245 for okay and uh, and but the guy over the next three or four years filed cases with the landlord and tenant board because the upstairs tenant was stealing his frozen fish <laughs> okay <laughs> The upstairs tenant was coming into his apartment and moving the uh, kettle from one counter to the other. And we were dragged in front of the board multiple times uh, over this guy going senile. And everybody could tell in their landlord and tenant board, the guy's senile, the guy's senile. And we're looking into like, what do you do when you have a senile tenant? And he had no next to kin. Like he was like, I have a daughter who lives in like New Orleans or whatever it was. And we had collected that information. We reached out, the number's not in service. Like, well, there was nobody, oh, right? Wow. And so, you know, we sold the house. And we sold the house to a guy who decided to move in. And he lived upstairs and he's calling me every week. Like, I got this guy in my basement. What do I do? It's like the perfect setup. I bought it with this rented unit. And now what do I do with this guy? But in the end, you know, we should have gotten health services for him and kept that house. I mean, $245,000. Yeah. $2,100 at the time in rent. Yeah. And I don't think we've been in that situation. Is that what you do? Call health services? Yeah, like I think Ontario, the, I think, Ontario Health yeah, Services. Yeah, I think if I think at the time I remember digging into it and and there was a willingness, but they did. It was right on that point, you know, with with where they're not sick, but they're sick. You can you know they're sick because they're doing things like taking to the landlord and tenant board for, for but not fish. enough to like but really that, that, that they're going to intervene and take them out of the home. They came, they saw him, blah blah blah, and it was at that point my wife started saying, you know, her mantra at the time was sell the house. Sell the house. Sell yeah, the house. Yeah. Is that sell the house times two? Is that that story? Yeah. yeah that's one of them. What about, yeah. uh, do we go to the other one or marriage and kids and fun? 
Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. Uh, you know, we talked about raising kids a little bit. Um, my kids are remarkable individuals. Uh, and I don't say that because, because you know, I'm the doting dad. They're remarkable because they survived me. And, uh, and, and you know, they're not super fucked up. And uh, that's kind of, you know, like whatever, like, you know, I can tell this story and it's like, you know, cute and, you know, we're talking about it. And, but the truth is, is that I'm a pretty messed up individual at times and I get lots of issues and I'm high expectations and I'm high demand and I'm high requirements for behavior and, and, you know, just on and on and on living with me and putting up with me and imagine how much I talk. Imagine living with me and having to listen to this all the time. Right. Like I, I talk a lot as well, Joseph. Yeah, trust me, what yeah. my wife tells me that I speak yeah, a lot, yeah. and I love her, and I think that's that's why we're a good fit because she tells me, and I'm like, okay, maybe yeah. it is time for me to shut up yeah. right now. Yeah, but you're smart enough to shut up. See, that's the discipline part. I'm not smart enough. They're telling me, listen, everybody in the room's telling you to shut up, and you're still fucking talking. Like, what are you doing, right? And anyway, so you know, my kids are remarkable. I mentioned uh, before that you know my son is um, you know 19 years old, and you know he's winning awards for young entrepreneur and young activities because he's you know he's falling into this esports world, um, and uh, and he's leading the charge on making esports a thing at NCAA universities. They're copying his business model. You know the 19-year-old one year in business school's business model because it really doesn't doesn't surprise me. He's like, Dad, why am I in school? I'm like, so you can live off your dad for another three years. That's the only reason. He has more business experience than all those schools put together already. And he he says to me, Look, you know, I'm going to get a visa and I'm going to work in the U.S. And I'm like, Have you looked into getting a visa? The only way you get a visa is if you have a degree in the field that you want to work in. And they say, oh, you're also specialized in that field. So you've got a business degree and you're running a business. I think I looked into it, though. He can, he, I think if he starts a company, yeah, he can he, start a company and you have to promise to hire a certain amount. You have to have, bring in a certain amount of money and promise yeah, to hire and yeah, have a business plan. That'll take him And a knowing while. your son, he'll put that together. <laughs> yeah, he Not, might. Sorry, I don't know him. I, just hearing yeah. of him, he'll put that together. I know a guy who uh, was in the car dealership world and he bought a, he was a car guy, sold cars, and he bought a veterinarian clinic to move to Florida. So he bought a, he spent a million bucks and it's literally cash paid a million dollars US and uh, hire some people and get some vets as partners. And, and now he has status. Now he's got status and he lives in the US and he consults to car people in Canada, which is very interesting. So uh, anyway, so, you know, I think, you know, family and fun, it's been, it's just about, you know, being honest uh, a lot of people I've talked to over the years uh, say that, you know, we don't know what to say to our kids. Well, I do. Say whatever comes to yeah, mind because it's I, honest. Yeah, I think we're all scared of our imperfections. Don't be like, afraid I, 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 of telling them who you are because they will, they will absorb the lesson. Oh, I don't like that about you. Oh, I like that about you and I love you. So I'll try not to be that person. I'll try to be that other person. And it's only when they're two or four or five or six that they're edifying you to the degree that that, you know, you're perfect. And, and if you try to keep that going into their, you know, beyond much beyond four or five or six years old, you know, it, it's probably going to disconnect you from them. Like my kids talk to us today yeah. at 17 and 19 years old. Joe, I love telling my kids, I don't know something. I love it. Yeah. I, I want to, I rarely want, happens to me. N- uh, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> But I love it because I want them to know that I don't know and I'm going to go look it up and find the answer. And then that's when I get to talk to them about books, about research. You know how many times I've told my son, I'm still, and I think it freaked him out when I first started telling him, and I said, listen, if anything ever happens to me, 
there's always a good book somewhere that has the answer that you need in life. I mean, you have a great family, there's great friends, you have people around you, but just know, if you can't reach me for whatever reason, there is a book out there with the answer that you need. And I think he looks at me sometimes like, what you know, but he said thanks a few times. Like, I know it's resonated with him. And when I say that I don't know something and I'm going to go look it up in a book or on, you know, I'll go research it and put some information together around it. I want them to know that that's how you get things done. We don't all have the answers. Unless you're you're Joe Glooby, then you have all the answers. I think you're nicer than me. I would say something to my kid. You haven't been around my kids, Mike. Maybe you'll see them soon. But uh, I would say something to my kids like, shut the fuck up and pay attention. (laughs) And they're like, no, no, dad, fuck you. And I'm like, and my wife is sitting there going, what are you two idiots doing? Yeah, but I know the spirit spirit in which that is said is different than the words themselves. So what is love? Yeah, yeah. What is health is a relative thing. What do you mean by that one? Well, it's just that, um, you know, everybody, you know, you're you yourself are a big uh, proponent of pursuing, you know, support for health. Um, uh, I, I think that uh, it's difficult for the rest of us humans to pursue the degree of support that you've pursued over the years. For health. I have problem. I we all have problems, and yeah. I have obsessive compulsive problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, you can see I follow you a lot closer than you think, right? And uh, you know, it's 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 you know, so it's relative to each's ability and wherewithal. Because I think wherewithal, you know, going to see. You know, Dr. Cal is, uh, you know, great, but wherewithal is becomes a component of it. Right. And um, uh, I think that, you know, we've hammered on it a couple of times already. You just mentioned it. You know, there's a book for everything. There's information available that doesn't have to cost you a lot. And it really only costs you time. And so my, you know, one of my little story, I was talked about this endocrine problem. And, you know, I had a, I was faced with a endocrinologist who was saying, yes, you have many of the symptoms, but we can't diagnose you with this condition because you don't have all the listed requirements for the symptom or for the, yeah, for the symptoms. So there's, so, so you have symptoms, then you have a diagnosis, then you have a treatment. Okay. So if you get into a situation where you have a series of symptoms, but the doctor is unable, unwilling, or uninformed to provide a diagnosis, you never get a treatment. And now think about mental health. I mean, this is the number Jeez. one problem with mental health is that they spend too much time trying to diagnose and looking at symptoms instead of just trying to find treatments. You don't know, you don't know this. Yesterday on the podcast, because we haven't put it out, clinical psychologist reached out to us. He was buying a property, found us randomly, found the podcast, reached out to us and said, hey, I'd like to come on. You know, come. it was kind of mutual. I'm like, hey, what do you do? Yeah. He told me, I'm like, hey, if you want to come on to the podcast, come on. And it's so interesting hearing you today talk about your thoughts because he was talking about schemas that we all have different schemas that mm-hmm. we live by. It's everything yeah. that you are, are saying. Yeah. And uh, he came up. We're going to publish that this week. Nice. And uh, I think people's mental health is huge. It's not just important if you have problems, if you're not achieving, if you're just like if you don't have problems, but you want to get somewhere, if your mental health isn't straight, you probably won't get there. So at all different levels, it's important. So so the reason I use that expression, it's a relative thing, is not because I'm worried about my relatives. It's because, you know, it's relative to where you are in your own thinking. It's relative to where you are in your own skill set. It's relative to where you are in your own physical feelings. And, you know, you... It, we everybody talks all the time about you know there's never going to be a better person to champion your finances than you not enough people say there's never going to be a person 
you know, more interested in championing, championing your health than mm-hmm. you. And it's remarkable because it's almost like it's a given, like, oh, you, of course you're going to take care of your health. Well, no, like if you get baffled by the BS that doctors deliver which we to all, you. Which we all do. Which we all get baffled. The other thing that happens commonly, and I pick at people that this happens to, is that the doctor will say, I had a doctor once, I had stomach acid problems. And the doctor said to me, you're going to, you know, I'm going to prescribe this medicine and don't worry, you'll still be able to have kids. And I'm like, I was like, I wasn't worried. I was like 25. And he's like, don't worry, you know, you're going to be able to have kids. And I'm like, why in heaven's name would he say that to me? And so I start researching the stomach acid chemical. And it turned out it was two, three years on the market. And likely he had been sold by the manufacturer that he should, that somebody has stomach acid problems. But two, three years on the market, what does that mean? That means they don't have anybody with 20 years experience with this stomach acid pill. And in 20 years time, they don't know what they're going to have for byproduct and outcomes for people taking it for 20 years. Don't worry, you can take it all your life. Well, how do you know, doctor? You don't. You're just, you're just parroting something else that somebody else told you because you're just another human on your path. And so for me you know, that, that deeper reasoning, that looking into it again, it comes up again and again in this theme. Right. And, and so what happened for me was I literally had to take the endocrinologist, spin his arm around behind his back and smash him into the wall and say, listen, you're either going to refer me to a surgeon or you're not going to leave the room. (laughs) Did you really do that? No. Okay. I was going to say, I don't know what to believe. (laughs) But I wanted to, but I wanted to. I didn't think you really. And, 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 you know, and the end result was the surgeon's like, oh yeah, we have this all the time where you don't have quite all the things, but guess what? When we did the scan that we knew to look for, because we knew what your condition was and we knew what the symptoms were, we found a growth. Oh, there's a growth there. They, the, the endocrinologist had had sent me to, I don't know, three MRIs, uh, CAT scans, ultrasounds, and none of them could see the growth. And yet the surgeons who knew what to look for based on the described symptoms could see. So this is a hormone. It's called the parathyroid hormone, and it controls calcium, which is why I have a problem with osteo issues. Oh, got right? it. So it's controlling the amount of calcium my body's allowed to retain. So people are like, oh, why don't you take a calcium pill? Because the hormone will just activate and make you pee yeah, it out. Yeah. And so the hormone has to be fixed, and, it's, and it's, the, it's the gland, and the gland is damaged. And it's damaged because I'm a crackhead. You know, likely nobody knows for sure, and it's a very, very rare uh, thing, and and it's so rare. There's no medicine for it because there's no money in it because so few people have it. Have you ever started right? uh, thought about changing your language? Like you, you when even when you joke saying it's damaged because I'm a crackhead, something about oh, that. I only say that to you guys. To, okay, because it, it bothers here. me. Yeah, okay. It's only for impact. Okay. Because so, I hear you say that, and I think so no, high. I, I don't know you no, so. No, so, so the language that's going on in my head is is that you know, it's damaged because of my past behavior. It's damaged, okay. it, and I don't even know it is. So it's it's damage that I have that may have been caused by how I treated myself in a period of my life that I don't choose to forget. I need to remember it, but I also recognize that uh, if there's you know if there's ever anybody listening who has a problem with drugs or alcohol and they don't think there's a solution. Trust me, there is. And it starts with a choice. And so, yeah, you're right. The language is kind of negative. Um, and and so I know you the, like to joke around, and I thought I, that, but I, I just... You get to a point in your in your life where, you know, it's like the old guy who's willing to say anything to anybody, right? And, I can tell know, that I got you. there when I was 40. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I got yeah. yeah. Forty is a pivotal year yeah. for for whatever yeah. reason. What's this career? Yes, what did you? I told my my boss to fuck off. Too bad it wasn't planned. 
<laughs> what so what happened? So, you know, one of the one of the things that happens when you don't take enough advice is you uh, is you get in patterns of thinking that, you know, you should probably check your thinking with others. And I have a bad habit of not, you know, double checking, hey Mike, does this seem reasonable to you? Should I keep this million dollar property in Oakville? Because maybe it might rent out for carrying cost and give me you know, a good return for years and years to come. I, I'm thinking I don't want to see it damaged anymore. I'm going to sell it, take a huge capital gains hit that I don't need and get money that I don't need to go buy something else, somewhere else. I mean, that, you know, makes sense to me. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> you know my answer. Yeah. <laughs> and so in this particular case, you know, I, I, I've always tracked, you know, there's a, you guys teased me on a, I recommended RBC Wealth Management in a, uh, in a VIP class a while ago. I and it was like, and I, and my message was, you know, if you go to RBC wealth management or TD wealth or whoever these people are at each organization, if you have, you know, the wherewithal to do it, what ends up happening is, is trust me, they, they can navigate the bank better than you can. And the problem is you need to have X amount of legitimate wealth in order to qualify. And so you guys are like teasing, you know, well, Joe's up for joint ventures and that sort of thing. But, uh, I had more money at that, you know, before I told my boss to fuck off than I do today because uh, essentially what happened was is, is the business was uh, purring along and everybody was doing well and, and the business was making millionaires. There's a bunch of us that became very successful working in this, working awesome. in this car dealership. And the problem was, is it was always about what have you done for me lately? And, and, it, and it wasn't necessarily what have you done for me lately? It was that I expect you to be here from 8.59 a.m. to 8.59 p.m. Never leave the building. Oh, wow. And work for me 50 hours a week. And there's no concessions. You know, I don't give a shit that your kids are 14, 15, 16 years old and you want to go out with them and, and experience their lives and do things with them. That, and you get two weeks off. Oh, no, you've been here for 20 years. You can have three weeks off. And so, you know, it's a story that you tell all the time. And... And it, it's not so much that there was a decision made a long time before with my family that it was okay, that it was okay that I was in that role. I really enjoyed the role. I've helped a lot of people over the You're years great in a lot it. of different ways. Yeah, there was a, you know, our mom, been, our, you reminded me that I had forgotten our yeah. mom bought a car from you. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, you know, Nick was there for that and, and the experience. Oh, I wish he, I saw you he, and Nick together talking about this. He came back to me later and he said, you know, I'm so pleased that we came to you guys because to you and, and to your office because, you know, you treated me so well and you're, you know, my mom had a lot of questions and, uh, you know, a lot of detailed analysis of the circumstances <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you were so patient with her and positive and supportive. And, and there's been a lot of that. I've, I've, I've had customers that started with me that had zero credit and were literally, you know, like I was when I started out and over, you know, helping them with their credit and helping them understand their obligations and walking them through it and so on and so forth. You know, a lot of these people have gone on to be very, very financially capable. I've got multiple stories of people who have bought houses or actually bought their first house that they live in because, you know, they came to me to buy a car and I'm like, you know, maybe you should think, you know, more globally about your financial situation and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, so it was really good. I really enjoyed a lot of it. I bumped into a friend the other day and he said, you know, do you miss it? A guy who works there. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's parts of it that I really miss. But what I didn't miss was the treatment from the boss who said, after 20 years of being a senior manager here and answering only to me, you're now going to answer to this other guy. And by the way, I needed to punch a punch clock. And I was working 50 hours a week. Got it. And I didn't have any salary at all. It was all bonus based on the store's success 
and oh really is that how that role is commission. Oh. well that role was okay. i negotiated it years before okay not everybody is got it a lot of guys okay. have a salary so if you tell me you're on a salary and i need you to punch in and out for a certain number of hours i could see some logic to that but i had there was nothing there so anyway so i said you know this is going in a bad place maybe you should stop pressuring me like this and he's like no no this is what we have to do and basically you know it's not your business it's my business and you're going to do what i tell you and i'm like no i'm not fuck you <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> so it just came uh, out spontaneously. Yeah, no, it was it was me warning him three or four times. Listen, if you keep doing this, something bad's gonna happen. He's like, I don't care. It's my business. I don't give a shit what you do. And I'm like, okay, well then, fuck you. And he's like, okay, I accept your resignation. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my and uh, that day I had three appointments to sell cars, and I sold all three of those cars. And I said to those people, you know, you might be my last customer ever. And, uh, and then, you know, then everybody's negotiating on my behalf with the owner of the dealership to try and convince him to have me stay, right? Joe's a good guy, like he's been here for 20 years and, you know, maybe we should keep him like he handles so many things for us. And, and, uh, so he slept on, he tells me at the end of the day, I'm going to sleep on and I'm going to decide tomorrow. And then he leaves me hanging all the next day and I feel terrible. Like I'm like crying that night. Like I'm just devastated. Like what have I done? Right. And uh, the next day I go in and all these people come out of the woodwork to buy cars for me. And I'm like, you're the guy who's going to be my last customer. And then another person comes, you're the guy who's going to be my last customer. And uh, sold a whole bunch of cars. And then he comes to me at the end of the day and he says, you know, because you said you wouldn't answer to the other guy and now you have to work with him, I can't keep you here. And I'm like, okay, um, ciao, bye. And I talked to a friend of mine uh, shortly. I, you know, I sent out an email to some of my contacts and said, you know, looks like I'm leaving. And uh, he replied back and he said, trust me when I tell you that no matter where you go, you think you're all qualified and you can do, you know, this at any dealership, but you have the same conversation with every one of those prospective employers. You're going to find the exact same thing. And sure enough, I took the next six months and I'm looking around and I'm talking to people and um, they were all like that. They were all like, I went into one dealership where the, where there was one manager and, and, and one, uh, used car manager and they sell thousands of cars. And I said to the owner that was looking at hiring me to replace the guy. And I said, so how many guys are actually going to organize and run all this? And he said, Oh, you know, you work all the time. We're open. And if you're not there because you take one day off a week, then the other guy will be there and he'll be working all the time or open too, except for you guys will rotate those one day. So that's like, I don't know what it was, 55, 60 hours a week working for somebody else for a tiny, tiny cut of the net pie. And I'm like, you realize you'd be more successful if you had a couple more bodies to actually manage all the flow of this activity, right? Like, you you know, like I'm mm-hmm. an expert. No in one wants today. to invest in the business. Yeah, They, they don't realize mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, they don't realize that having the right systems and having the right people doing the right tasks is so crucial, right? Anyway, so that friend eventually convinced me to come and work for him, and that's who I work for now. And so, and I, that, so that's why, where, where is it? Car CarCostCanada.com. Yeah. So, what is it? CarCostCanada.com. I, I can't believe yeah. we're just learning about it now. Or you told me and I didn't know about it or something. Yeah. So, well, I had it on my checklist of things to do. Do I pitch Tom and Nick on the idea that everybody can have a free access to CarCostCanada.com? So, so now, yeah, we're going to give everybody, Rockstar Inner Circle members are going to get given free access to CarCostCanada.com. So, basically, uh, what it is is people who are buying new cars. Um, if you go to our website and you look up the car that you want, um, 
and you we call it build and price so you know you pick your make and your model and your year and your style you know rx or whatever you're picking uh, you go through a series of screens um, we will give you information we're just an information provider and our secondary goal is to connect you with somebody who will give you a great deal on the car close to the information we're about to give and the information we give is true dealer cost on the new car and all the hidden rebates and incentives that you may or may not know about. I feel like I never know about it. Like I know so there's a bunch of any, rebates and I any, always feel like I never know them all. You never do because I'll give you an example of one. So there's a great one now that Audi just came out with. And Audi's uh, latest one is hidden incentive. If you have a car allowance that you can show evidence either on your pay stub or with a contract and you buy X vehicle from Audi, you'll get X dollars extra off. So what do they do? What does the Audi dealer do? No offense to Audi. I apologize. Yeah, you but they're, hate car cost they don't advertise that. This. And that's part they're of They're not problem. actively advertising it. So, uh, you know, if you go to Audi and you, they say, we need a pay stub to prove, you know, your or an employment letter to prove your employment. And if it shows this criteria is met, they get an extra 500 bucks or a thousand or 5,000 bucks on some of these more expensive Audis or a couple thousand bucks. So if you know about it, when you go in, you know that's a couple thousand you're going to get off the car without even batting an eye because we've given you that information. So carcostcanada.com gives you the true dealer cost information of the car, the true lowest interest rates available in the marketplace for that car, and the true hidden wow. rebates and incentives. So you can, you can get an information advantage, finally. You can get an information mm-hmm. advantage, which has been your thing for a yeah. long time. So. So basically, any Rockstar Inner Circle member who goes there and there's a point where, you know, you build, you go to the website, you can explore it all, you don't have to do anything, but when they're asking you for your name and your email and your phone number, you're joining as a, as a free member and you can put in a coupon code there, R-S-I-C, and we'll give you five reports for free. Now, the normal model today is we give two reports for free. So you're getting a total of five. And so we have, we have customers... Car Cost Canada customers who have used the reports for 20 years. So the business has been around since the days when you had to call in on the phone. You'd see a newspaper ad. You would call in on the newspaper ad. You would give your credit card over the phone. And then they would mail you the report. Or they would fax it to you. That was that was the big advancement around about 2000. They started faxing the report, right? But carcostcanada.com actually has uh, an incredible web presence. Um, when you do a... a, a uh, search for a new car, uh, it's often on that first page of Google. And the reason is because every time somebody runs a report, Google's recognized that's another web page that was created. So that was thought of a long time ago. Every time somebody touches the site, another page is created. So you got all this presence in the background. So every once in a while, somebody will stumble on like 2014 Infinity, you know, and it's like there's a page for that car because somebody built that report at some point in the past. So these pages exist, but most Very importantly cool. on new cars yeah and so what do we do so how do we make our money if it's free for the public we connect you with a dealer who's paying to have your name but they pay 30 bucks or 40 bucks and the purpose is that that dealer has been trained by me now to talk to you in a way that will treat you like I want you to be treated if I was selling you the car directly we start from the cost up and we say hey you've got dealer cost so now a fair markup on this dealer cost is a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. We even give you guidance in the report to say what a fair markup is depending on the type of vehicle you're buying. So you can't buy a, a Lexus for you know cost. It's impossible. They're not going to do it ever. Uh, they need to make a profit. They only have a limited number of cars, so they're going to sell 
you know, the car at 4% market. Mm, I never thought about market. that. They only have a limited number of some models. They, they so only they have a limited have, yeah, number of it. most models. Got it. So if you're buying a BMW 3 Series, you can buy the car for one or two or maybe two and a half percent over dealer cost because that car is a very ubiquitous car in Canada today. A Honda Civic, you know, a couple points over dealer cost. But back cost. to the Audi, if it's the Audi R8 or 8, what is it? R8? Oh, yeah, R8. forget it. They're going to want lists. Yeah. Or very close to yeah, lists. So we warn are. you in the report, hey, there's the cost, but too bad, you're going to end up paying close to but, lists But just knowing car. that, to me, is valuable. That's right. So people run it on Porsche and things like that, and and you know, there's if we go to the Porsche dealer. Oh, well, I've got your cost. Well, good for you. Don't buy the car then. Get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, but to give you an idea of the scope of this thing, uh, we track members by a simple sequential number, and uh, we're north of four hundred thousand members. Um, we acquire, you know, new members at the rate of a few hundred a day. Um, across Canada because you can join up as a member for one report or you join up for an annual thing. No, there's no, you know, they didn't, uh, honestly, you know, Jim, I hope you're not listening, but yeah, you never should have gotten rid of the annual membership fee, (laughs) but, uh, so you could do by report then. So you, so you can, you can purchase once you use up whatever your free number is that you get in on. So anybody who now has our SIC can get in with five free reports. Uh, but once you use those up, we try to monetize the member and it's peanuts. It's a few dollars for additional reports. Because when you're talking the scope of number of reports that we're running on a daily basis, a few dollars is more than enough to, to fund the business. And um, so we have dealers mostly all the way across the country. And we have a path for customers who don't get a referral for a dealer on their, on their report. So you might get, you know, we're in Oakville, so you might get buds of Oakville. Um, but if you don't get a BMW dealer where you live, then, you know, we'll have a button that says, you know, do you want more help? And then experts, a lot of people in this office are people who have worked in the car dealership business and who we, who deal with dealers all the time. And so you'll end up being able to connect with one of us and then we'll advise you on a local dealer that we think has been treating customers well in the past. So it's also about customer service with the dealership side. So dealers have to qualify to be a partner of ours and for us to refer Wow. To them. We're not Sounds just going like to send to any old dealer. We're only going to send to dealers that we believe are actually going to treat you well. And, uh, and we vet them and we go through a process with them. They have to go through a training process. And that's kind of why I got hired because the guy that was running it before kind of signed him up and hid, uh, which uh, you guys know doesn't work. So you'd sign up a dealer partner and then never tell him anything and never do anything with him. And guess what? He didn't monetize and he didn't want to stay with you. So my job is to, you know, build those relationships both with customers and with dealers and try to, you know, bring, so my hands are now going closer together. So it's to bring the customer and the dealer closer together. The customer wants to pay costs. The dealer wants to pay full price, but we want to try and get them. It seems like a perfect fit for you, no? It's been pretty good. It's been a big challenge. I'm working too hard. Um, But, um, but, you know, the advantage to me is, you know, I'm joking around. I'm going to go golfing next and. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of flexibility with working, you know, in, a, in an internet company. Um, I mean, it's just, it's been really good. It's been really good. And what about, okay, investing today? So thanks for offering that, by the way. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we, we need to promote that a little bit more elsewhere. So I'll talk to you yeah, about that. But yeah. investing uh, today, cash, credit, and then we'll wrap up. We've kept you for, we're, we're, yeah, okay, this is a fish. No, 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 it's been great. Investing today, cash, credit, precious metals, real estate, is Bitcoin, VHS, or Betamax? When I first read that, I was laughing. I was like, that's a really good question. That's a really <laughs> good question. Um, but uh, yeah, and so what are you up to today? Are you telling us here what you're up to today? Or Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm up to. That ca- uh, like that cash, credit, 
You're monitoring yeah. your credit. You have some pressure. You, you believe in some precious metals yeah. and real estate. Yeah. I, I think it's funny who's left in the room. You know, there's the guy that says silver is divisible. That was the line, right? Mike, Mike always says silver is easily divisible. Therefore. <laughs> it's true. That's <laughs> right? why he got some status. Yeah. 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 Silver is easily divisible. I don't know. I've looked at the one ounce coins. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to chop that up into pieces, Mike. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. They actually right? sell some one ounce coins yeah. that are on the back. There's grooves, There's grooves in them. And like, you can so you apparently, I've never done it, but apparently <laughs> you can just like crack it off. Like here's a quarter of a one ounce right there. So, you know? Yeah. So I don't have any, I don't have any gold coins buried in croatia no um, but we can all aspire we yes. can all aspire joe that's when you do we can trade gps coordinates yeah, yeah. think about that but there's something called bitcoin where we can actually do it a little easier yeah, but so but the, is having, it vhs or betamax i at this point i think bitcoin who knows but okay, i mean so i think it's crossed the rubicon and 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 bitcoin is the vhs it's yeah. the dvd it's so the, it's the online streaming yeah so it's here's, the netflix so so here's kind of my thinking on on Bitcoin VHS versus Betamax, right? So Bitcoin, I remember those words. Remember those yeah, words when your absolutely. neighbor had a Betamax yeah, and if you had like, a VHS, you're like, no, oh, beta's number one, yeah. VHS rules. There's like these battles. <laughs> so, you know, be, the story is, for those who don't know it or might not be in their late 40s or early 50s or beyond, <laughs> is, that, uh, is that beta was uh, the original technology and Sony created it and then they wouldn't share it with anybody. So it was like secret technology that that they would license the manufacturers to make these tapes for it, but they wouldn't really, they thought their vision has always been, you know, it's our stuff, we'll make movies on it, we'll deliver the movies and it'll be our business model. Um, whereas VHS was uh, created by... Um, uh, anyways, I don't. I can't remember I, either. But JVC it, it was created by JVC, oh, and JVC it? shared the technology. With it was. Everybody. It was back then. It was open. It was what yeah. you would call today open, open source. source right? right here. So you they, go. Okay. So what is Bitcoin? Distributed Bitcoin, open source. Yeah. So Bitcoin is fascinating because it is open source. So here's my theory on the VHS versus Betamax concept. Well, first, you know what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is only a source of money because people have decided it is. Okay. So, I would say because it's 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 scarce. No, it's not because it's scarce. Because there's lots of things that are scarce, uh, but you can't really use them as a medium of exchange like you can use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. And the reason is not necessarily because it's scarce. Because Ethereum and all these things, they all have mathematical equations. To make Joe them does have all scarce. the answers, Mike. It's conclusive <laughs> right? now. But, but here's the: if you look at Bitcoin's website, it says it right on the website. The reason we are a source of money is because people have chosen for us. To be a source of be, to be a, to be money. That's it. That's the only reason. Yeah, it's but money. over time, I love this conversation. I don't mean to challenge you, yeah, but yeah. I'm saying over because I've thought about this like a lot, and mm -hmm. I'm like, but over time, humans naturally choose a thing of money that is the scarcest thing. Absolutely. So over time, it just. I, so I agree. So here's, here's the problem. Here's yeah, the problem. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, I agree with you that they do. That's why gold and silver have been historically and. Unless we get off this planet and start to mine on another planet, Asteroids. they're going to continuously be. Yeah, and I know you've talked about that before, and they're going to continuously be uh, rare. Here's the problem. There's yeah. three problems with Bitcoin that I see. The first problem is, is some mysterious guy created it, which means the likelihood of a backdoor, given human nature, is huge. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's the likelihood of a backdoor. Okay, that's number one. What, so on the first one, so remember the other two. On the first one, why hasn't the back door been used yet? Because they're just going to, the person Doesn't who has matter. the back door can, can just wait and they wait. Want. Okay. So okay. why does it have to be worth 5,000 American dollars when he uses the back door? Why can't it be worth 500,000? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 
But that's not really my biggest concern. That's more about, you know, uh, have you guys gone to your gun range yet? Have you done your first gun lesson yet? No, no. No. So, you know, that's more on the lines of, you know, Mike's slide of, uh, you know, if, if the world goes to shit the hand pile, we all need to have gun licenses, right? That's more on that line. I you think know. we're doing it so out in Brantford somewhere, yeah, are we not? Yeah, yeah, is it going to be months. just some like cornfield that we just show up? <laughs> like, hey, there's some corn. Shoot It'll be better than in Croatia when I was given guns. Here's a semi-automatic rifle. Just start hammering. And, and I didn't know during the war, at the end of the war there, one of the guys in the village who's a family friend, basically like an uncle, but not related to the yeah, family, yeah. gives me this gun. I start shooting. It's like an automatic machine gun and I start shooting it and it starts going up yeah. in, it starts going up in the air and I'm like what the heck is this and you know there's two or three people next to me I yeah. never I'm a Canadian kid never shot this I'm like I'm lucky I didn't turn sideways left or right just wipe people out so I'm sure whatever we get in Canada will be better than the instruction that I got uh, previously so but anyway backdoor so, okay second. okay so backdoor is is a, is maybe a smaller piece to it the, the interesting though interesting yeah. yeah the ease of use is a challenge totally okay yeah. so if ease of use is a challenge what's the solution to ease of use and 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 who are all these companies that that make bitcoin storage lockers and so on okay so what what, what would happen what would happen if microsoft partnered with the american government and said we're going to provide the world with a new fiat currency or maybe yeah, well, Facebook got pretty close with maybe, Libra. Maybe, Facebook came out with that Libra thing. Maybe that it'll be good. the IMF, and maybe the IMF will contract XYZ Corporation to produce a fiat currency. Oh, the, so, yeah, the, the, that's going to happen. So I'm with if, you. Yeah, if yeah. there's a choice, and one's easy to use, yeah, and people's choice of currency is the one that's easy to use, what's the likelihood that it'll be? So why? Does oh, VHS it'll be it'll be the IMF one or the Canadian dollar one for sure. For sure, it won't be right. Bitcoin. But here's the thing: Bitcoin has a set limit of 21 million coins. Mm -hmm. Let's let's assume there's no backdoor. I think we have to yeah, yeah. Have base to this that. argument. Yeah, there's right. no backdoor, but there's no backdoor. But if if the IMF comes up with a coin or the Canadian government comes up with a coin, there'll be unlimited coins. Will so what's there? the difference? So what's oh, the one okay, thing that, that would be the threat. Okay, that would, that's what have good. They learned that's good. What yeah. have they learned? Agree. That would be the threat. You're right. If they came out, if the Canadian government or the IMF came out and said, we're going to have one and it's going to be the hard money. We'll open the source just like this information so you can see the algorithm. Just you're like putting this. a lot of trust in politicians no, not no, to spend more money than yeah, they think they need. Because then they would have to save money, Joe. You're absolutely right. And come on. So politician, it, uh, government. what flashed <laughs> in my mind was, do you want to talk about China and the United States, right? So that's what flashed in my mind, right? Because what happened, what, what, you know, how does the, how do the Chinese uh, overtake the American, you know, the quote unquote petrodollar, right? Mm -hmm. So how do they overtake it? Well, it's, it's one portion of the strategy may be. That would be good. I give right. you that one. That's over the back door one. I'd like to kind of. Yeah, you can't well, do anything about it. What are you going to do? Yeah, but but if the government's. There's a back door for everything. Nick like and I have talked, markets for gold. Nick and I have so, talked about. Right. Actually, we inter, uh, we interviewed Saifedean Amous, who wrote the Bitcoin standard. Yeah. And he has a report after the book came out on just all the threats to Bitcoin. And his conclusions were pretty much your point number two here, saying the biggest threat isn't the network security. It's not no. all these other things. It's if the governments wake up and if they announce that they're going to have like a currency that's backed by something or has a hard number to it, it's hard money. That's the biggest threat. It's, and I agree with them 100%. I'm choice. agreeing with you. It's a because choice then because why? you're choosing to use Bitcoin because you perceive it has a limit, because you perceive it's going to retain its value. 
And the problem is, is what you and I I need perceive. to answer this question better because I don't know how to prove there's a limit, but there is a 21 million coin limit to the Bitcoin yeah. algorithm. Yeah, you so can read it on their website if you believe what you read yeah, on Yeah, yeah, no, okay, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I got to look into this point more. You're giving me homework. I like it. So, yeah, yeah. you know, anyway, so I just I just think that it's it's highly likely that guys like Gates Guys like, you know, other people that are, you know, why does Zuckerman get into it? The reason these guys are all looking at it is because it's a new frontier. All you need to do is produce a product that gets you one one millionth of uh, share every time a transaction occurs. And, you know, you're the, richer the big, than the, the richest threat, people in the world. When Libra was announced, so I don't know all the technical details of it now, but Visa and MasterCard were involved with it. Facebook yeah. was involved with it. Anybody yeah. who had a WhatsApp app can now, you and yeah. I through yeah. WhatsApp can send money. I'm like, this thing's brilliant. Yeah. Because they're putting it, they put in a basket of other currencies like U.S. dollars, yeah, and yeah. I think the Chinese yuan was in it or whatever. And I'm like, this thing can work. And two weeks later, it was all shut down, right? It's like someone from the government tapped them and said, Facebook, uh, sorry, Visa pulled out, Mastercard pulled out, Facebook said they're not running. So if it. you look at a Mastercard, I just saw this because I follow. I've shared this with you before. I follow Stansberry Research, which oh, yeah, is like yeah, yeah, this yeah. very libertarian yep. American investment group, and they. They don't invest themselves. They just make recommendations and they do deep research. They have people in the right places in all the right categories and they do deep research. Now, they're big Bitcoin supporters. Uh, they're also big on, you know, multiple different types of, of uh, cryptocurrencies and crypto businesses because the real business there may not be currency. It may be all sure. the rest oh, of Sure. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah, a lot of different things. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? I lost my soul. Oh, MasterCard. I know where I was. MasterCard. So MasterCard has a project on the books that's that's you can dive into and find out more information about that is their transitional uh opportunity for governments so basically you know how is mastercard you know is a multi-billion dollar corporation are they just going to go the way yeah of, why would they, they going to go of the course. way of, you know xerox i wonder i wonder Panasonic if there's an whoever, right? i wonder no. if there's an opportunity where bitcoin grows a little bit and then and then you can kind of bail out Start. of it and you can kind of transition to something else like i just yeah. wonder if there's a bright future for bitcoin yeah. that might maybe maybe is. it is limited like maybe it is like for the next 18 months two years three years and then governments are like okay We've had enough of this. Here's where we step in. That's right. The real frustrating thing for me about Bitcoin is that I have a very, very smart friend who now runs a really cool business here in uh, GTA, and he's got lots of locations. And uh, he was casting around. Before he went on his uh, one and a half year uh, get married and go travel the world trip, he's like, you know, I'm going to mine Bitcoin. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it was like it was like 2012. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, poo, poo, poo. Yeah. And I'm like, stupid, I would have said, stupid, I would have said the same thing. I would have said the same thing. Stupid. What are you going to do? He's like, you know, it's like $200 a Bitcoin or whatever it was, $500, $800 a Bitcoin. I'm going to mine it. And he looks all into it. And at that time, the cost of hydro was more than the value of the Bitcoin, right? To, to mine one coin, it was already uh, yeah, yeah, counter, yeah. you know, counter cost prohibitive. Yeah, yeah. Cost prohibitive. So anyways, but, uh, you know, what kills me is, you know, I do a lot of that, right? I sold the house for motorcycles. Oh, I didn't buy do. the Bitcoin in 2012, but I bought gold in 2012 and oh, in 2010 it. and in 2008 and got in it. 2005 and got in 2018 it. and in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of stuck. So, and silver. Well, gold is. And platinum. And, uh. <laughs> Central banks still hold gold on their balance sheets, right? And uh, I think if you're going to play the game with the powers that be in this world, if they're holding gold on their balance sheets, and in, in they report it as a real, uh, they give it a low value, 
because they're using like the $35 yeah. an ounce yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They're, but if they're holding it there, I got to think that they're, it's, it's for a reason. Well, that's another prong of China's strategy, right? We'll just accumulate. We'll have all the gold mines. We'll accumulate all the gold. We'll partner with Russia and we'll you know, elbow the Americans. How we go the... from an institution in Maine <laughs> to talking about Joe's theories on China is amazing. I love this conversation. Yeah, I know um, I've kept you a long but, time. But, uh, I appreciate your uh, letting me ramble on. It's, no, no, uh, it's, we, it's two-way street. We appre- You know what, no, Joe, listen, you, you, you didn't have to share everything you just shared. And I'm sure we're going to hear from somebody who listens to this at some point, whether it's today or a year from now, on something that you said, help them overcome something, think differently. So. No, 100%. Yeah. So that's, that's the choice, right? So there's a, there's a thing in 12-step in recovery where you're not supposed to put yourself out there as a representative of the organization. So um, I'm not a representative of the organization. I do a lot of things wrong. I've made a lot of mistakes. I, you know, I did a lot of things bad before and after I got clean. Um, I'm not the alcoholic drug addict who can say I did everything bad when I was wasted. I actually did everything bad when I was sober and then got wasted because of the pain of the stupid choices yeah. that I made. Okay. So, you know, I'm not representing anything other than, you know, if you make a choice and you take responsibility for your own actions and you make a choice to change and you ask for help and a lot of help and you keep asking for help and you never stop asking for help and you try and stay connected to people who are doing things that are beneficial to you and will help you. And uh, if you stay connected to those things, you'll probably improve your life and improve your lot in life and uh, gain the respect back of parents and families who don't respect you and gain the love and attention of wonderful people that are new in your life that don't even know, you know, what you were like back then. And, you know, I've got a 19-year-old kid and I'm 27 years clean, 26 years clean. Awesome. Never, no fronts in recovery. You don't get 27 until you hit the date. So, awesome, man. Yeah. Qu- so, amazing story, Joe. Yeah. If, if anyone wants to find you, is the best place... You know, checking out CarCost Canada. Joe.Gluby at CarCostCanada.com. Joe.Gluby at CarCostCanada. And Gluby is G-L-U-B-E. So yeah. Joe.Gluby at CarCostCanada.com. Yeah. And if I owed you money back then, I will not pay. <laughs> uh, just a parting shot. I'll tell you one parting story. So I'm in university. And I'm teaching people hot knives and it got a little out of control because there's no Bunsen burners or whatever in the dorm room. So I went out and bought a blowtorch. Okay. So, right. So I, I, you know, so I, I'm teaching hot knives and we're all getting high. People are happy. It's like the story on the floor and it's like, oh my God, what's going on in that room? Right. And, uh, then, you know, I, 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 Basically, we're all partying and I get drunk. And the next thing you know, the blowtorch is being used for destructive purposes instead of just for <laughs> hot knives. And, uh, and, and we don't burn anything down, but we definitely create a lot of smoke. And it's like three o'clock in the morning and the building gets vacated. And, you know, everybody's in the street like, OK, well, you know, a week later, it's like, OK, there's a, somebody with a blowtorch is the person who caused this. Who had a blowtorch in the university dorm room? Okay. And everybody kept their mouth shut for a long time and nobody said anything. And I had a girlfriend at the time and she literally had a mental breakdown over it. Keeping the secret. Oh no. And so I had to tell that I was the guy that, you know, was responsible for this destruction and to help her get that off her conscience. Well, yeah, she it got really ugly. So she yeah, so I did that. And and uh what I didn't know was that, you know, this is in a foreign country and you know I don't really know what's going on in the neighborhoods around the school and it turns out there was like an arsonist around the school 
And this guy was like burning garages. Now, it wasn't with a blowtorch, but he's like burning people's, you know, separate garages, <laughs> detached garages. So they're like throwing the book at me, right? Like, like they're like all over me. Like, you're under arrest. You're going to jail. And, uh, you know, you're going to be in jail in a foreign country. You know, it's a good thing you're 18 because we get to put you in the real jail with the big scary people. And, um, uh, and I went through all that process and, and it was pretty clear it wasn't me that was burning these buildings down. And uh, so I got let off with some kind of discharge or whatever it was at the time and sent back home. And uh, 20 years later, 15, 18 years later, I get a phone call. No, I get an email. And then I get a phone call. And the email and phone call is from the girl. And the girl says to me, um, you know, you ruined my life. Oh, geez. And I had long since tried, you know, to, to correct my behavior. I'm not torching anything or doing anything like that anymore. And... Um, but the next thing out of her mouth was, I know you're successful. I know you have money and you're going to pay. And uh, so I go home. I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do with this? I go home. I tell my wife. She's like, Dale, what the hell with that? It's <laughs> <laughs> not getting a nickel. <laughs> right. And and, you know, what transpired was. I realized it was an opportunity to make amends. Now, this you have to understand the times. It was the early 80s. So she was a pariah on campus. Her boyfriend was, like, expelled. And it was, like, the running joke for the, all that graduating class for the next... As a matter of fact, 20 years later, the guy who organized the graduating class was still sending emails. Remember that idiot who burned the building down or whatever, right? You know, he's still making fun of me, right? And it's still haunting her. And uh, still making fun of her. And uh, she went and followed the Grateful Dead, <laughs> which is something you could do back then. You could literally just go from town to town and live in the, live in the camps and, you know, following the Grateful Dead was probably not a good lifestyle choice. And uh, she eventually went on to have a better life and to, and to get a degree and to... Did you make amends? So the process was this decision to make amends. And what can you do for somebody who's had this whole 20-year experience that kind of dovetailed because of what happened with me? And and the decision was, is there's only one amends you can make. It's, I'm sorry. And I truly did not wish you any harm. And I live my life today trying not to harm and trying to help people. And I can't specifically help you. There's no measurable, quantifiable thing that anybody can do for you today as a result of this. But on the other side of the coin, you know, I'm trying to help other people when they get into trouble. And, you know, that's the... That's the outcome, is you've, you you make amends by correcting your behavior today and improving what you do tomorrow. There you go. Mike, I don't know how we cross paths with Joe, but uh, we're grateful, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for everything Thank you. you're doing. Thanks for yeah. sharing, man. Hey, everyone. It's Tom Kradza. And uh, I think one of the most amazing things that we get to do as part of this business is work with so many different Canadians of all different backgrounds. Canadians who are born here, Canadians who are born out of the country, Canadians who are born in Toronto, Canadians who are move, moved to Toronto, young Canadians, older Canadians, everyone, all different backgrounds, ethnic groups, everything. So to be able to sit down and share some of their stories, including Joe's story right here, is just a, an amazing, I just feel kind of grateful to be able to sit down and have these kinds of conversations. So, you know, thanks for listening. Um, if you're listening to this and you want to check out the membership that Joe became part of, 
um, or anything that we have to offer, you can always go to rockstarinnercircle.com. You can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member with the code YLYT. You'll get $200 off the initial uh, sign-up fee. So that's YLYT. And you can see all the different benefits that you get as a Rockstar Inner Circle member. And uh, if we are ever allowed to do bigger in-person meetings again, um, maybe we'll have to bring Joe up on the stage so everybody can uh, hear his story in person. So uh, anyway, with that, hopefully you're enjoying these. Thanks for listening. Until next time, your life, your terms.